0: Hey there, and welcome to another episode of The Bible. Wait, what? Yes, this is the podcast that unravels the mysteries of the Bible's most perplexing, puzzling, and thought-provoking passages. My name is Rowan, and each session I'm joined by a member of our team at C3 Church, Camden, Picton and Thoreau, as they quiz me on some of the more complicated, confusing, challenging, and even confronting passages that we read in our weekly Bible reading plan. understand that reading the Bible can be a challenging and perplexing experience. Many people just don't know where to start, they get confused, and so they give up. Well, that's why this podcast exists, to equip you with the tools and the knowledge to explore the richness and depth of the Bible for yourself. So grab your Bible, take a deep breath, and join us as we explore this week's passages. learn more about us or to get in touch with us at C3 Church Camden, Picton and Thoreau, visit any of our three locations websites. That's c3camden.church, c3picton.church and c3thoreau.church. Or you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube just by searching for any of our locations names. So without any further delay, let's dive into today's conversation. Ho ho ho! Merry Christmas, everybody! Merry Christmas, Santa here with Simon. Actually, it's not Santa; it's Rowan. When I had my beard, I was definitely more Santa. You, than were you. very. Yeah. You look more. Would have looked yeah. like it made a made good Santa. Yeah. Hey, welcome to the Bible. Wait, what? Merry Christmas, everybody! We're recording Merry this Christmas. in October. I don't even have my Christmas tree up yet, but we're still saying Merry Christmas because uh, it's Christmas week well, when this is released. Two days ago, it was hot enough to feel like Christmas. It did feel yeah. like Christmas, didn't it? It's uh, been a. And then today it's blowing it's an absolute windy, windy, gale yes. yep. in Wollongong today. So, hey, great to have you. Simon's <coughs> back for his second edition of the Bible. Wait, what? Mm-hmm. And uh, I heard lots of positive comments from Simon the did first you? time around. Oh, we did. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So thanks for being with us, Simon. No worries. Thanks for having me. For our Christmas edition. Yeah, bring it on. And oh, we, oh, are, oh. we are making a crack into, into lots of scriptures about Jesus, aren't we? Lots of prophecies about Jesus today.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's some in there that I even want to sort of uh, unpack how much they are about Jesus. Yeah, exactly. I thought you might go there (laughs) there because there's some pretty obscure
0: prophecies there Mm. that you go, how's that got to do with Jesus? But but for whatever reason, the gospel writers decided to apply them to Jesus, Mm. didn't they? Yeah. That's cool. So we'll uh, we're going to crack through some Hosea a chapter in Hosea. Yep, we've been spending a fair bit of time in Hosea. We're going back there, and then uh, Hebrews as well. Hebrews, Hebrews
1: as well. So mm-hmm. we'll kick off our conversation with uh, Hosea 11. I'll hand yes. over to you, and yeah. you can start us off. Awesome. Thanks for having me. So um, right out of the gate, uh, I'll just read the verse leading up to it. So uh, Hosea 11, chapter one: When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more they called them, the more they departed from me. They kept sacrificing to the baals and burning offerings to idols. My first question is baals in plural. Mm. Yeah, I'm assuming that um, may just be referring to gods, but I've always understood baal to be one God. singular yeah. in one sense. Yeah.
0: Well, my NLT says says images of baal. Okay. Baal. There you go. be um, a translation. Having said that, I think baal. The word Baal means God, but I think that there might have been a few different versions yeah. of the same God yeah. across the different nationalities. So yes. the um, the Sidonians um, would have worshipped Baal. I think it says somewhere they worshipped Baal, such and such Baal. Right, okay. He- Hezeroth or something around yeah. the different versions of the same Probably, I'm guessing, it just, it's just a bit here, but I guess it's probably similar to how when the Romans conquered the Greeks, they mm. took the Greek gods and renamed them yeah. as, in a Roman name, but essentially it was still the same god. Okay. I think it's probably something similar to I that. I
1: read somewhere too that Baal, I think, is somehow connected to marriage. That? Uh, yeah, there's some kind of ritualistic, yeah. um, yes, the, the history. Maybe it's a covenantal thing, I don't know. It, but it was, I think, yeah. something okay. like that, yeah. Cool.
0: I y- have to go back and do the Hebrew
1: on it, but yes. Yeah, it's yeah, I read somewhere. it somewhere, so it could be completely random. Yeah, definitely. But, um, that's cool. Okay, yeah. and then moving on, it goes uh, into, um, in verse 4 it says, I led them with human cords with ropes of love. Um, to them I was like one who eases the yoke from their jaws. This human cords... I led them. So I'm just going to pep you with questions yeah. this whole time. Yeah, way go through. for it. That's all I I've got, I led them questions. along with
0: ropes of kindness and love. Okay, so I've got NLT's. human cords. Human cords. Uh, maybe I, does, I need to get
1: a new translation. Well, that, that's, well
0: yeah. the thing is, NLT, I wouldn't rely on the NLT for some of this sort of stuff. It's no. quite conversational. Let me see. What, what version have you got in front of you there? Well, this is Holman Study Bible. Oh, so, yeah, okay. So, yeah, uh, that will be it. So let's have a look at the New King James says... Um, I drew them with gentle cords with bands of love. So okay, it's interesting where he gets the word human.
1: Human, yeah. I'm not sure human where. Cords.
0: Okay. It's obviously some kind of poetic statement. Um, yeah. Indicating, you know, like drawing them gently or something. Yes. But you think of cords as a, a constrictive word, not a releasing word, doesn't it? Yeah.
1: And I think too, because then it goes on with uh, obviously ropes of loves, but then it goes into that animal metaphor in some ways where it's talking about yeah. the yoke and the jaws. Yeah, I guess you do. You, there's two ways to restrain an animal. Like you mm. can you put your dog on a leash. It's not you know you, you're keeping it in a direction, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Weirdly, my brain went to um, you know when you see like erratic toddlers running around and they have those <laughs> <That's> <laughs> course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's like that, isn't it?
0: You're going to come back here, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It okay. Could, it could be something
1: like that. I think. Yeah. Okay, uh, this is flagging a red flag for me in terms of my translation might um, Hol- challenge Hol- us. Holland's is pretty. I, I don't know the history of it, but I think it's trying to. Stay fairly accurate yeah, to that the was original my text assumption, but um, yeah, I guess King yeah. James might be a helpful reference point back yeah, to that. Yeah, um, okay. New American Standards is a good one for accuracy too, but yeah, um,
0: I think that, that probably find that's harder to read at times because they've tried to just transfer the the Hebrew word mm. into yep. um, an English word. But that doesn't always transfer the meaning as yep. clearly. So sometimes you need doesn't take into account the, the figures of speech that we, they would have used. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So okay. That's why it's good to have a range of translations.
1: Anyway, if it gets too...
0: If it gets too complicated, homology, we'll, we'll, yeah, we we'll uh, I'll, keep, I'll keep the New King James. I've got them in LT. I've got a few okay, different versions cool. open on my U version here, so I can we'll, compare. We'll
1: figure it out. We'll work as we go. Okay. So then, um, yeah, what have I got here? Verse 5. Um, what have I written? Return to Egypt. Yeah, so it's he says. um, I bent down to give them food. Israel will not return to the land of Egypt, and Assyria will be his king. Um, What's that? Why are we even inferring that they'll be going returning to Egypt? Egypt. Yeah.
0: Uh, So at the time that this was written, um, there was uh, Assyria were rising. I was talking about this with Adrian a couple of weeks ago. (coughs) Assyria were on the rise, and they were a significant world power. So Mm. Hosea is prophesying at the same time as Isaiah. So he's prophesying over the time right. of um, Jotham, Hezekiah, yep. Ahaz, a few others around that time. So at this particular time, Assyria is rising, Egypt to the other main power, mm. and Israel are really a nobody yeah. in the middle of it. Mm. In fact, right, they're the border skirmish between the yeah. two. Yep. And so if you think about it from Israel's perspective, they're afraid that um, Assyria are going to conquer. Mm. Where are they going to go looking? Or Judah in this case, where are they going to go looking? Down to Egypt. Right, for help. So they wanted to go to Egypt. So they were kind of getting some stuff with Egypt. But God had always said to them, don't go back to Egypt. Don't look to Egypt because Egypt was that picture of their past that that God had delivered them from. Back in slavery, yeah. So it was almost like in the Exodus when they said, we want to go back to Egypt. Yeah, yeah. God said, don't do it. And these guys are now trying to find their hope Back, back in Egypt, in Egypt again. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes, 100%. God's going, don't go. I'm not going to let you go there. Yeah. In fact, Assyria is going to be your master. Yeah. Because it's going to be judgment upon you for yes. the way you've treated, you've broken your covenant. Yep, totally. Yep.
1: Um, and then there's the reference here to moving forward into...
0: Nope, Siri's talking to me.
1: Oh.
0: No, it's all right. Go ahead, it me for a second. No, I, think um, I must have said something that oh, my
1: iPad thought I was saying Siri. So in verse 8... Um, how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I surrender you, Israel? So the two kingdoms. Um, uh, Ephraim and
0: Israel. Uh, same kingdom? Yeah.
1: Ephraim Judah. is a tribe of Israel. Yeah. But
0: it's often used as a collective for, term yeah. for the whole thing. Right. Okay. But, yeah, yeah. that's what's confusing because you go, that's just one tribe. Yes. But yeah. it was often used to refer to all of Israel.
1: So who's Adma and yeah. who's Zeboim? I don't know.
0: Zoboam. How can I set you like Zeboim, Adma. There's not even any reference in the study notes to that. Uh,
1: yeah, what have I got? Um... Let me
0: see. Zaboim in Hosea 11. Let's just see who it says it is. Let's see what ChatGP tells me. It, the reference to Adna and yep. Zaboim, I'll oh, just pause for a moment, is an allusion to the destructions of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah as described in the book of Genesis. These were notorious for the wickedness, etc. The prophet Hosea is contemplating the impending judgment of Israel because of its unfaithfulness to God. However, the tone is one of anguish and reluctance on God's part to bring about such destruction on his people. The mention of Adma and Zeboim serves as a vivid reminder of the severity of divine judgment while emphasizing God's compassion when he holds back the full measure of deserved wrath against Israel. So it must just be another version for Sodom and (coughs) Gomorrah. Okay. Well, I've never heard that before, but there you no. go. Learn something.
1: Thank you. Okay, no worries. Um, cool, that's good to know. And then um, it goes on to: I will not vent the full fury of my anger. Mm. Uh, I will not turn my back. Uh, and this whole idea of uh, where have I got it? Is it verse eight? Um, oh, sorry, just backtrack. I have. I've had a change of heart. So he's talking about. Ephraim, Israel, Adma and Boim. Yep. Um, but I've had a change of heart. My compassion is stirred. And uh, the question that kind of pops up as soon as I read that was, is that God changing his mind ah, yes. Um, type thing? And then it kind of took me back to Sodom and Gomorrah yep. um, with the kind of, uh, it was it Abraham pleading? Yep, the conversation about yeah. what if there's 50 righteous and 40 For sure. righteous? And this whole idea righteous. of God yeah. changing his mind is a little bit kind of unsettling <laughs> in one sense. Um, You heard that bang? That was wind. Yeah. Um, Not unsettling, but so I looked into that and one of my study notes was talking about not so much a change of heart or a change of mind, but a broken heart. Okay. What do you think about that?
0: God's broken heart.
1: Yeah. So in the sense of it's not like, okay, I'm going to change my mind on something. It's more that my heart is broken toward the situation, which will then cause me to act. I see. I see what you're saying. That would be a valid... Yeah.
0: understanding of it. Look, it's a very, the whole issue of God seeming to change his mind Mm. is less of an issue. It was less of an issue to them Mm. in that day than it is to us now. I think obviously as evangelicals, we've built this whole concept of God. As you know, knowing all and all, and it's mm. all true, mm. but then that we wrestle with this thing of what does that really mean? Does mm. God really, how can God change his mind when it says, I, I'm not a man that I should lie? And yeah, yeah, he sets his mind to do something, and yeah, he, well, it literally does says, it, it. Yeah,
1: it literally says, um, I'm God, I'm not man. That's right, exactly. So Two he's thinking, I'm
0: not going to change yeah. my mind, yeah. Um, so the same thing, you actually see. The word I think the King James will actually use the word repent, God repented. Mm, mm. Repent just means to change, turn around, change right? to mind. change. So, yes, yeah. yeah, same thing. And so you see this a few times. You see this with Moses up on the mountain mm. when he God says, I'm going to wipe out yes. all of them, start yeah, again yeah, with yeah. you, Moses. Yeah. And God, and Moses prays and mm. it says, God repented. God mm. changed his mind and didn't do mm. what he planned. So, yes, it does create an ethical dilemma. And I think your idea of the compassion mm. motivating him works. Mm. I also have come to think that my view has changed around now that I have a deeper understanding of how much God's intention on earth is to partner with humans, mm. that helps me to understand yep. that. It's like God has actually given us as humans so much authority mm. on this earth mm. to be able to intercede. Mm. It's, it's as if mm. our prayers will hold back or cause God to mm. change his direction yep. from something that he was going to do or perhaps even should have done mm. to bring justice but he's now moved by compassion because we have interceded. Mm. I guess that links with the broken heart mentality because yeah. he he hes heart's breaking. He doesn't want to bring judgment. Mm. Makes it clear here, and he's looking for someone. There's a, there's a scripture, famous scripture. Is it in Ezekiel? The intercessors love it. I looked for someone to stand in the gap and couldn't find anybody. Mm. So it's like God wants to partner with humans. Yeah, and if we will step in that gap, he will. Um, Bring about compassion or mm.
1: mercy, as opposed to just acting in
0: yeah, yeah. Righteous I mean, we
1: get that Ezekiel thing. Obviously, ties us back to where we'll go soon in Isaiah, where who will I send? Yes, Here the same am, Lord, principle. You're looking for yeah. partnership. So, yeah. So, I like the I like what you said about the, the broken heart. I think going yeah, with that, maybe yeah. it's maybe it's both.
0: I, I think that well, they, they do kind of they're two parallels. I like the broken mm. heart alongside the fact that I think God is almost going well. What do you want? Yeah. You say to us humans, what do you want on the earth? Mm. And He is he's willingly limiting himself to work and partner mm. with humans. Mm. To me, that magnifies us as humans, yep. the value of us. So that's how I look at it.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. If that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Um, verse nine, uh, for I'm God, not man. Um, and yeah, that, I guess the reason that stood out was I feel like he's saying there um, I don't respond in the same way that, we we want vengeance or we yep. want you know whatever revenge. It's probably a better word. Yes. Um, and he's basically saying, you know, my compassion is stirred, um, and I will not, you know, release the full fury because I am God and not man. That's it. Um, it's like I'm
0: not going to be motivated by human quest for revenge. Yeah. When God acts in judgment, it's never self centered. No. It's always others centered. Mm. So if he's gonna if he's gonna pronounce judgment, a righteous judgment against something, mm. it might look to us like it's harsh and vindictive and mm. God's angry. But he's never his offense isn't against himself. He's he's acting in judgment because humans are hurting other humans. Hundred
1: percent, like a yeah. parent and a child.
0: Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's that helps us to wrestle with that whole thing of the, this mentality that you read scriptures like this. Mm. Well, you read Old Testament and you think God's harsh and vindictive, but in this little chapter, we get a glimpse of him going. I'm righteous, I will judge, but I also have compassion.
1: Yeah. And I'm just backing up my own point about the parent and child because it started off with about Israel being a child. Israel being a child, that's right.
0: And went away, went awry, basically. Yeah. Yeah,
1: exactly. Went off the track. Yeah, back to the toddler on his. Yeah, back to the toddler doing their own thing, exactly. Maybe. Uh, Coolio. So then, verse 12, moving ahead. Um, Oh, so verse 12 says. Ephraim surrounds me with lies; the house of Israel with deceit. Judah still wanders with God and is faithful to the holy ones. Mm-hmm. I don't know if your translation reads much. More uh, no, pretty much the yeah. same. Yeah,
0: Ephraim has encircled me with lies; the house of Israel with deceit. Yeah, Judah still walks with God, but even the holy one, even with the holy one, who is faithful. Yeah,
1: yeah. So um, I found this quite curious. This uh, – because my version says Judas still wanders with God. Ah, uh, yes. Not wanders with God, wanders. Wanders, yeah. Wandering off um, and is faithful to the holy ones. And so I was like, what is that going on?
0: I think – well, my version says walks with God. Yeah.
1: But again, um, I think my study part says um, – yeah, the la- it says here that the last two lines of this verse are very difficult – the Hebrew term for God is not the usual Elohimba El, okay. which can refer to God, but also to the Canaanite God of that name. Right. The term for wanders is rare but suggests rebellion, and holy ones elsewhere refers to godly people or to angels, but it could refer in this context to uh, Canaanite deities or, or cult prostitutes.
0: <laughs> yes, it could. Obviously, so if that's the case, the translators have had to make some... Uh, decisions about yeah. what that context is so so that seems to be saying it's possible that it's actually not just a rebuke on Israel mm. but a rebuke on the nation of Judah as well
1: yeah which um, is what which, I was kind of thinking it was initially uh, okay because yeah. it said wonders okay so I'm yeah. just
0: looking the NLT says but Judah still obeys God and is faithful to the Holy one the okay. new King James I said I said is, a, is in the positive as well mm. NIV so let's we'll just see what what rules they're taking okay so the NIV have taken your response. Mm. They've gone, and Judah is unruly against God, even against the faithful one. Mm. So they've put it in the negative. Mm. So is he – he's definitely reprimanding Israel. Yeah. Is he reprimanding Judah, Judah as, as well? well. well. Yeah. Um, and that, that could – the reason that could be confusing is not only the language – that this is written, the time that Hosea and Uzziah is written is a time when Israel is completely gone. Yeah. They're off track. Judah's Judah sort of is, teetering. Judah yeah. has Uzziah is a good king. Mm. Jotham, his son, is a good king. Yeah. Ahaz is a really bad king. Yeah. Hezekiah is a really good king. Yeah. Manasseh is a really bad king. So that is a time, it's a seesawing time. Mm. And and during this time, these prophets are writing So it could be either. It could, and I think they've obviously they've had to make a judgment call on Mm. is it a rebuke or is it a commendation of Judah?
1: Yeah, and I guess the only point I raise that I think uh, a because of uh, this idea of wandering with God, because the word wander with God sort of doesn't sound. It kind of feels like an oxymoron to me. It almost sounds like you're going off track, but you yeah, it's like. um, I'm running away with God Oh, yes. like, I don't know how to yes, I know what it, you mean. Yeah. yeah. So that kind of stood out to me. And I guess the point was like, it does remind me that we do have to be so careful with not just reading everything at face, at face value. value. Yeah. Um, and to be careful not to just sort of, um, yeah. Well, I think with a
0: situation like that, it's, that's why it's good to have multiple versions. Yeah. And now in the end, it's probably not going to drastically change the story because both, as I said, both for are sure. valid. There were times when they were walking with God, mm. and there were times where they were wandering from God, yeah. rebelling against God yeah. for Judah. So it would be more the timing of mm. who is what is actually happening at yep. the time that he's writing this. But Hosea is writing over a period of about four kings, the same mm. as Isaiah. So it's probably a he's an old man at, from the time he finishes. So he's he, this could be over the reign of those four kings. There's at least at least one of them is really bad. Yeah. Um, of those four. So um, it could be either. I just okay. Yeah, I think it's good to know. Usually the Bible, I've, I've often study Bibles will say something like, if you, a, little, a little footnote or something mm. will say, the meaning of this Hebrew word is uncertain. Or yeah, like yeah. And yep. so the scholars are are just trying to make an educated guess. Mm. I will add for our listeners, though, you, that does not mean that you need to throw out the Bible. Oh, no. It's a very, very small Portion of words, mm. like you know, fraction of fraction of the number of Hebrew words or Greek words that don't have mm. that the meaning isn't clear, and oftentimes they have to go to extra biblical resources to see how that word was used in other contexts totally. to help them. So, oh, yes. it's just it's more for nerds like me that. Oh no, it's great for you, but I think it's it's important for our listeners to know that we're not saying that you shouldn't trust the Bible. No, it's so small, and it's actually trustworthy that they mm. actually do often t- tell you. Hey, we don't really know. It could be this and it yeah, could be 100%. That. Yeah, that situation. No, totally. Yeah. That's a really good one. You picked up on that. That's great. I've not seen that before.
1: All right. So then we're going to go back in time. Well- um, Back in the Bible. Yeah, back in the Bible time. Back to- back Bible time. Back to Isaiah. Where are we going? Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 6. 6. All right. Yeah. So into Isaiah, uh, we're picking up in chapter 6. I've got to say, like from here on, Isaiah and Hebrews, there is so much that I would love to kind of unpack. It's pretty dense, isn't it's it? It's so dense. Um, so it is going to be definitely more um, just little dip, dip sure. ins and dip outs. Yeah, I'm, you can try to attract ev- attack every oh, there's so much. complicated pretty wait much. what moment in these chapters. We will be a very long podcast yeah, episode. Massive. So, Isaiah chapter 6, um, I'll just bring us in. So, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne and his robe filled the temple. Seraphim was standing above him. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. I wanted to ask about feet. Hmm. Why feet, do you think? Why did they cover their feet? or yeah, why did they-, why do they cover their feet? I can understand covering other parts of your body if you were... I love the way you ask questions. I love the way you think. I didn't even think that way. That's awesome. Um, That's such a good question. Well, I understand the face in in the sense that, you know... Can't look upon. Yeah, can't look upon. And and a face is obviously a very distinct... It's the most distinct part of us, I guess. Um, And so, yeah, but then the feet was kind of random for me. Um, So I just didn't know. Was there anything like in those times where feet... Well, what do we do with feet? We walk. Yeah, we walk. Um, well, Jesus washes feet. He washes so feet so they get dirty. It's I'm just probably trying... – there's, there's, I mean, we, later we get into God uh, and the footstool, so there's a sense yep, of – Yeah, so there's, that's true. Um, yeah. Let me see. I don't know. Um, let's
0: just try. – I'm going to try GPT, seraphim feet in Isaiah 6. I'm just going to see if, <laughs> if anything comes up there. Why the reference to seraphim feet in Isaiah 6? In the context of a vision uh, – we know what that – GPT sometimes gives you very big explanations. I mean, I
1: can give you the notes here too. Yeah, read your notes while well, i know this. The notes here say, covering their eyes, shielding them from the brilliance of the divine glory, and covering their feet. They've written in brackets, possibly used here as a euphemism, um, but also may have been a posture of submission.
0: Yes, and that's what they're saying here too. The same as we just said about feet getting dirty. Mm. It's actually saying... In ancient Near Eastern culture, feet were often considered the lowest and dirtiest parts of the body. Covering them would have been seen as an act of humility or a way to maintain the purity of the divine space. Mm. So I, co- I cover my eyes so I don't mm. see the glory. I cover my feet so that they don't um, infect mm. or, or get yeah. you know in, make the place impure.
1: I wonder, is it also a poetic uh, way of saying bowing or being sort yes, of not prostrate necessarily but... Um, because they're so low, their feet are covered. So if I was to be on my knees right now, you uh, wouldn't see my feet. Yeah, maybe. Although they're
0: using, you've got six wings. So I'm. So oh, they're in I the way, air, aren't they? They're, they're flying. in the air. They're flying. Yeah. I kind of pictures two wings here. Yeah, and the feet. And the feet, and the yeah. other two, they're flying with. Um, I'm not sure what they're alluding to with the euphemism. The euphemism of the feet. You mean, or the?
1: Yeah. Well, it says yeah. Um, Possibly used it as a euphemism, but for what? For a euphemism for what? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Anyway. Uh, it is another interpretation is more symbolic, suggesting the act of covering the feet and face shows that even the most holy creatures are not worthy to be in direct presence of God or to fully behold his glory. Yeah. So mm. they, they're making assumptions there. So I suspect yeah. that unless the scholars were able to clearly define a reference at that time as what feet meant, they, mm. would, they would be speculating. I'm happy with what we got. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. That's I think, a good... I think that's back to it. what I... So often than I what find, I had. <laughs> yeah. So often I find that I get these complicated ones and I just, I stop and I just think, well, what a feet, you know? And mm. I think, think about it. Feet get dirty. Like you said, yeah. Jesus washed disciples' feet. Mm. And that often is the meaning yes. that the scholars come up
1: with.
2: Yeah.
0: Because uh, I'm always looking for a much deeper, more of a rabbit trail, but mm. you look at it and go, that's often what they're thinking yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um... Uh, So where are we up to? Sorry. And then I've got here for verse 6. Yeah, I like, I mean, I really like this part. Uh, So it says, um, then I said, so he's sort of in the presence of God and and these angels. Overcome by the presence of God. Overcome. Woe is me for I am ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips and live among people of unclean lips. And then down it goes and this uh, seraphim flies over to him and in his hand he has a glowing coal and he touches which he's taken from the altar with tongs and he t- <coughs> touches Isaiah's mouth with it um, and this, this idea of the coal um, purifying mm. his lips um, and it says that your sin is atoned for. And so I, I don't know, um, just in some of the things that I've been reflecting on this whole idea of um, coal and, and burning being something that actually purifies mm. and purifying, not necessarily destroying. No, that's right. It's yeah. a refining fire. A refining fire. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's why I kind of, that, that kind of came up for me. And uh, it's interesting because
0: on earth, the mentality in the earthly temple would have been quite different. Mm. Anything that's holy that touches something that's unclean, mm. the thing that was holy yep. becomes unclean. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Whereas in this situation, it's like the holiness of God mm. in heaven is so holy that mm. something that is holy touches something that is unclean and it mm. makes the thing yep. that's unclean, clean. Yeah. yeah Which is a, what yeah. Jesus did. Yes. Yeah. He was, he was ritualistic, ritualistically, Unclean when he would touch a leper
2: because the
0: law yep. would say you'll become unclean. But Jesus was so holy, like this mm. vision, that when he touched unho- unholy things, they became holy, they became yeah. clean. I think I love that. That yeah. picture of the holiness, the power of the holiness of God to change our hearts and forgive us our sins or atone for our sins. Yeah, yeah. We don't infect God. God's goodness infects us.
1: Yeah, and I mean I think the interesting thing there for me too is not just the purification but that your sin is atoned for. Yes. So... Um, like when I think of atonement, I think of just breaking it down to at one mm-hmm. like being kind of united back to God, restored yep. back to God. Yep. So this whole idea of the the lips um, being purified, but it also – so wickedness is removed and sin is atoned for mm. just in that one kind of yeah. act.
0: Notice what's, what caused it to start with. Verse 5, when he said, Woe to me, I'm a man mm-hmm. of unclean lips. To me, that's repentance. Yes. That's an acknowledgement of mm. who he is and – what he's he's mm. sin and and that's the first step yep. in the gospel. Repent and believe yep. the good news. And yep. I think it's I think it's I think the cl- the cleansing is a response to his mm. repentant heart. Yep.
1: yeah, that's mm. that's a good point. I would I would, I'm not pushing back, but I um I agree. When we talk about repentance, I'm almost thinking, is it bigger than repentance? Is it awareness? So when we're thinking of repentance being something where I. Change my mind, or right? I yep. change my direction. I definitely there is that, that yep. element to it, but I would almost want to say it's it's slightly bigger than that. It's an awareness of who God is. Yep, which does then bring about the. I uh, I see. So what you're saying is he's had this vision and he's re- he's overcome by
0: the holiness of God. Yep, and that has that awareness of who God is has he's looked at and gone, look at me compared to what I yep. see. There's such a gulf between yep. us, and that's led to that yep. repentance. Yeah.
1: So yes. it's almost like the awareness has precedes the repentance. I like that. Okay, thanks. I, I really do
0: like that. I, you're you right. That I think sometimes we – yeah, we'll take it for free. <laughs> no, I really like that because sometimes yeah. we, we make a big deal about repentance, but if what you're saying is if, if we don't truly grasp the holiness yeah. and the bigness and the glory of God, then and we don't understand the gulf between mm. our hearts and God's gl- holiness, what are we really repenting of?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that's why it, I think them it can – I mean, not to – use a pun, but it's almost lip service yes, in one uh, sense. Nice pun. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, so it, it is that, <clears throat> I don't know, I've just been thinking a lot more about definitely repentance is a massive part of it, but I feel like um, repentance feels like something we do. I think everything is initiated first by who God yes, is. So there's a response,
0: it's a repentance, is an act of response we do once we are aware yeah. or made aware yes. of the glory of God. Yeah, I like it. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's... I'd like to play that out throughout the gospel, throughout the New Testament too, because I think that that really, really fits. Yeah,
1: totally. Because yeah. I think, I mean, I don't know, but I would have imagined like even in Acts, there's there's all this kind of who Jesus is, therefore repent. Yes, you're right. Exactly.
0: In the Acts 2, that's what I'm thinking yeah. of, as I was saying it, the way Peter elevates, he yep. elevates Jesus as the son of David, the fulfillment, yep. the one the prophet spoke about. And then he says, look at his glory. Yep. Now repent and believe in yeah, 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 yeah. I like that. So we, repentance is important. But the precursor 100%.
1: to repentance is awareness. Yep. I'm going to pinch that. Thanks, Simon. <laughs> good. Worth the price, price <laughs> yeah, of admission totally, on that one. That's totally, totally. Uh, so then going into 9 and 10, um, I'm going to read them so I remember what it was. Um, yeah, he says, "Who's going to? who will I send? Isaiah says, here I am, send me. And then he replies, go, say to these people, keep listening, but do not understand. Keep looking, but do not perceive dull the minds of these people, deafen their ears and blind their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their minds, turn back and be healed. So it's this commissioning of stopping people from repenting.
0: It's like that, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, the scholars love this one. Yeah. Because Jesus gets quoted in the New Testament as well. Yeah, with the... When the, Jesus the says, why do you, you speak in hear? parables? Yeah. And they go, well, actually, I speak in parables for this reason. Yeah, yeah.
1: So what? Yeah. what's your... Uh, so
0: I think the prevailing view w- would be that um, God blinding the eyes of people Mm. is actually a sign of compassion. Yep. Um, So, (coughs) excuse me. So when it says, because Jesus quotes Isaiah, Mm. quotes this passage in Isaiah 6 and says, go and tell these people that they will ever be hearing and never perceiving. Mm. Um, That's why he says, I'm talking in parables. Mm. Because once something's made clear, Mm. you're accountable for what you're made clear to. Mm -hmm. So, because at first reading, it sounds like God is vindictive and he's saying, Mm. well, I'm deliberately going to blind you. Yeah. and that's going to be your punishment. Yeah, 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 totally. Whereas I think the prevailing view among the scholars is when it gets to a point where someone is so unwilling to repent, mm. God in his grace mm. will blind you mm. so that he doesn't have to hold you account mm. for, for your the level of your um blindness. Okay. That's the prevailing view among scholars. It's taken me a long time to, to wrestle with yeah, that Yeah,
1: yeah, I like that. Um, is that, can we apply that same idea to God um, hardening Pharaoh's heart? Yes. So if you look at the scripture there where God ha, hardened
0: harden, fart- Pharaoh. <laughs> <Fartons. laughs> Fartens. God fart, You know yeah, what yeah. i say. Someone, my Sorry. preacher, once said Jesus fasted for 40 days and <laughs> he just kept on going. He forgot he said it and the church was in hysterics. If he's not anything, I don't think he's farting much. <laughs> no, that's yeah. right. He's not probably not doing a lot. No. Is he? Um So, the, yes, I think the difference... It's it's a good example of it because if you look at the the exact language in there mm. in Exodus, it says Pharaoh Fair says it again. <laughs> my brain is still fried after yeah. my flu. Um, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. I think it's the first mm. five plagues. Pharaoh hardened yes. his heart, and then God and then it. Start, God starts yeah, hardening yeah. it. So I think that does apply. That yeah, like at some point God goes, well, okay, yeah. Now I'm going to use you for my tool of judgment because mm. he says Paul will talk about how Pharaoh was used as yep. an instrument of God's justice so that he can show his compassion to the in the same way the, the Assyrians the, same with the Assyrians, same way yeah. Babylonians all of them yeah but i think it sits well to think mm. that God in his compassion he doesn't want to judge more than he needs to. it's like a, a, a judge who has to do justice mm. but they don't want to they don't, yeah, yeah. they're not they're not they're not vindictive and desiring to mm. eke out every bit of yeah. judgment they can yeah and so i think that fits the, mm. that's why i think there's this thing of um, almost a hardening of people's yeah. hearts for their
1: own protection. I haven't heard it that way. I think that's yeah, that's uh, It's
0: taken me a long time to And, the, and the, <coughs> the, I should say it's not the only way. There are other no, no, there yeah. are other evangelical views around the fact that uh, you know, God just chooses who He chooses. You know, hyper Calvinist view says, "Well, yeah, too bad if you're not chosen, you're going to get blinded." Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just doesn't sit well with me from what I know of the nature of God as revealed yeah. in Scripture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't see Him. We just yeah. read Hosea eleven there, where He He was looking for every reason not to bring judgment. Yeah, yeah.
1: It seems to sit better for me. Yeah, me too. So I'll have to um. After the podcast, get some of your uh, resources from sure. where you've dug all that stuff up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It'll be just all online. All I mean, over. Yeah, it'll be, yeah, be all online.
0: I've studied commentaries on it
1: because mainly for the
0: parable one, why did Jesus, answering the question, yeah, why oh, right. did Jesus speak yeah, in parables? Because yeah, that's one yeah. I won't often get asked. Yeah. So I've had to wrestle with it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. If.
1: Great. I like it. Thanks. Um, okay. So Isaiah 7. Okay, so moving into chapter 7 of Isaiah, um, I'm going to be really lazy here. Uh, verses 1 to 6, um, I won't read it unless you want me to read it, um, but I feel like I came to the movie half an hour late. So could you simplify everything that's <laughs> happening for here for me? Okay, let me just glance at It'll be about, so it's about
0: a has. Yeah, it's like um, all these different um Yep, Kings okay. Yeah, okay. Sure. Yeah. I'm just reading through to make sure I get Sorry, the whole I probably story. should have prepped you on that. Before. No, that's all right. No worries. I'll, I'll just make sure. Yeah. Ahaz is um he's the bad dude. Yep. So, um his father Jotham, I think was okay. His grandfather Uzziah was And good. this is Israel. This is Judah. This is Judah now. So, Sorry. this is about okay. this is the time of about. This is during the time of the S- Syrian invasion. We're talking about 7 mid 700 BC, mm-hmm. 750 BC through to 720 BC or something like that I think. Um so Uzziah has been a good king, Jotham has been a good king, Ahaz is a bad dude. Right. Um he sacrifices his oldest son in the fire to Moloch yep. south of okay. Jerusalem. He is yep. he is gone way off the rails. Yep. His son Hezekiah mm. who will become a, a, a good a king. Good mm. He um he would have he wouldn't have been the oldest son. He would have been there watching his older mm. brother get sacrificed. So um, and it's Micah the prophet Micah turns him back so this is prior to this this is a time when when the Israel has gone when Judah has gone completely off the rails under mm-hmm. king Ahaz. they've set up all kinds of the historians say uh, um he set up a massive uh, monument to Molech in the, in the south of Jerusalem which was would have been like a giant think like when it's almost you need a trigger warning for this but you think about it on, when you see it in in Indiana Jones and that where they yeah. put their yeah. babies into the fire mm. like literally throw them into this mm. giant head of Moloch. Yeah. I um, mean, he was, he was really bad. Mm. And, um, and the Assyrian army, um, are on the borders. Mm-hmm. They have, um, conquered around this time. They are conquering the Northern kingdom of Israel. Yep. Probably by the time Ahaz has come, if they haven't conquered it, they nearly have. hmm and they're making their way south towards yep. Judah. So okay. word is out that they are under attack. Yeah. Okay. That's the context of the story. Right. And um, God's still working for them, like even through the prophet, still trying to turn the nation back to them. Yep. And he's going to confront
1: okay. Ahaz
0: specifically.
1: Cool. And then the, it goes on into verses seven through to nine about kind of, it's not going to happen. Yes, that's right. Um, Basically saying happen. God saying it's not going to happen yep. at this time. Yes. Okay. Um. The one point I did have here at the end of verse nine, where it says, "If you not, if you do not stand firm in your faith, then you will not stand at all." Maybe I'm just getting too loose here, but is this a is this a potential um, verse that people can stand on um, and kind of almost be too zealous or too? What's the word? Basically, this whole idea of we've got to stand firm in our faith. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, otherwise we're gonna completely, um, we'll give in and and bad things, bad things will happen. Bad things will happen. We'll, you know, we'll suffer whatever. Um, I don't know. I just, when I read that, I was like, I just wonder if there's people out there in, in the world that would, um, kind of be, no, we need to stand firm in our faith. And, and it's sort of like, um, an excuse to turn a blind eye to something. Yeah, it do you know often know what I mean? is. Yeah, it often is for it's, Christians. Where my head's going is like I've seen a mug that says, "I can do all things through a verse taken out of context." Yes, that's right. So, is I, this a verse out of context? This, is, this, is this a potential verse I out of context? I think it could
0: very quickly become a verse out of okay. context. Hence, yep. why you need to read it in its context. Yep. I don't think that's what it's saying.
1: No, that's why because no. when you obviously when you read all of that stuff, the preamble up to it. Yes, um, it's it's talking about a very specific. Time, place, time, place, and a king, and who a king. is
0: against, who's wandered away from God, who's turned from God, and yet God is still trying to reach him yeah. through the prophet, yeah. and saying, "You got a choice here. Yeah. If you keep going down this path, it's going to lead to destruction." Yeah. Yeah. Now he's promising that it's not going to happen in yeah. his life, in his lifetime. Yeah. It's it's actually going to be like a hundred yeah. years later when yeah. that when the Babylonians do conquer. Yeah, he's a co- they will come right to the. Under Hezekiah, his son, they will come right to the walls of Jerusalem. Mm. They'll surrender they'll keep they'll take the rest of the kingdom, but Jerusalem will survive. But there's this prophecy that it's not gonna last forever. Yeah. But to say that
1: you just take that scripture out of its context and apply it and go, well, just if you have faith Well, yeah, it's that whole thing of like, no, we stand firm in our faith. And I I get it, like, you know, there's all that stuff about where Paul's talking about the, you know, put on the shield. Like yes, all that. Like yes, I get yeah. there is an element to that, but yeah, I just have like this kind of little red flag where it's, um, yeah, is that a, a so potential it, verse out it, of context? It is a verse out
0: of context. Just unpack for me what you said there about, you know, how you take the curse out of context and then ignore morality or something you were saying. Uh, Give me yeah. an example well, of what you mean
1: there. Uh, I'm probably thinking more, maybe not necessarily morality, but probably more thinking about we, we as a church have a, have a vision to make the building higher and bigger and stronger, and that's what we believe God's calling us to do. Therefore, we will stand firm in our faith, lest the you know we get we lose the building altogether. Yeah. So it's kind of like sometimes that whole idea where I see often, you know, for all good intentions and a really good heart motive, the people can be like, we believe this is the right thing. This is what God's calling us to do. Therefore, and we will stand firm in our faith. um, Type. Type thing, whereas God might be not calling you to do that at all. Yes, sure. Um, well, that's where the wisdom and discerning the will of God comes in. Ultimately, it is. Yeah. A, it is a, s- a step
0: of faith to <clears throat> trust that we've heard from God as a team. You know, yeah. an example like that. You, ha- you hear from God on a team. and Go, okay, this is the direction that seems right to us. That yep. God is using. It's that partnership. I wasn't the- giving
1: our treasures. No, no, example. no, I know yeah. good, It's a good
0: example. Of, I yeah. think how
1: it works. I was looking around because, the building and I thought of the yeah, building. No, yeah.
0: but I, I agree because I think you could. Well, I was thinking more when you're talking about morality there, where you could say, "Well, we're going to just." we're going to the top of the mountain, we're going to see God move yeah. and woe betide to anybody that gets in our 100%. way and we end up trampling down yeah, yeah. good people same, in the process. Same deal. yeah. And I think that's what I would be more mindful of mm. is making sure that we don't just cling to one promise or one thing mm. out of context and ignore all the other things. Mm. So in this context here, he is promising deliverance mm. for them. This isn't the time for Judah to fall, he's mm. saying. But he's still wanting to do that—to call Ahaz back. He's Mm. saying, "You need to stand firm. This is not the time to wander off."
1: Yep.
2: Okay.
0: That's kind of it. And if we can, if we can put it back in its context, it's it's a sign of it's it's a prophetic call to Ahaz to
1: change his ways. Mm. Yep.
0: That's what's going on here.
1: Yep. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, just a quick side one, nerdy Bible thing. The head of when in the beginning, verse nine, the head of Ephraim is Samaria. Samaria wasn't. Uh a city was it it was a Yes. It was a city. Samaria So um, Samaria was like the Jerusalem of yes. the Northern Kingdom. Yes, Sere- ah. Samaria was the capital city. I always thought it was like a different region? Yeah. It's a region
0: um at the time of the Roman Empire. Uh it's so a, it's hence a, the Samaritans. The Samaritans. Uh well, no that yeah, they're called Samaritans because they Samaria was the capital of the nation of Israel, the right. northern kingdom yeah, yeah, of Israel. Yeah after it was carried off by the Assyrians and the people that settled in that region (coughs) were called Samaritans, by the time the Romans get along, they've created a province of Samaria, which is pretty much by, give or take the old kingdom of Israel, the Northern kingdom of Israel.
1: So why were they so despised? Sorry, I'm jumping ahead.
0: Why were they despised? Yeah, in Jesus. Um, They were despised because the Jews from the Southern kingdom of Judah, who had survived the Assyrian assault, and ultimately had gone into exile in babylon they saw themselves as the pure ones right. the pure breeds okay the samaritans would have been a half breed caste yes. they okay. were what happens what the assyrians did is they had a way of um, taking they would they would invade an area mm. they would take people out of that they'd take a few yeah. people out and move them somewhere else and basically it basically was interbreeding yeah, yeah, yeah. to remove yeah. all ethnic it was ethnic cleansing yeah and so the Jews looked at these people in the Northern kingdom and said, Oh, you guys are like half, half breed. That makes sense. Okay.
1: Thank you. Sorry. That was, sorry, everyone. That was just for me. That's good. Um, Okay. So then we jump down to uh, verse 14. The whole Emmanuel thing. Yeah. So therefore it says in verse 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The Virgin will conceive, have a son and name him Emmanuel. Is this pointing to Jesus? Ah, good question. Good question, because
0: this gets quoted by Matthew. Yes. To specifically say, uh, you know, that therefore the virgin will give birth to a son. Yeah. So the answer to the question is your question is, does this refer to Jesus mm. or not? The answer is no and yes. Yeah, okay. No and yes. Because it,
1: it was an actual child, we, we understand, right? It was an
0: actual child yeah, that was born. in that time. In that
1: time. Around
0: Isaiah. Around, um, yep, an actual child that was born that yep. God was going to use as a prophetic sign yep. to, about this northern invasion, this invasion yep. from Assyria, that basically says that, look, before the child is old enough to know what's right
1: or wrong, mm. uh, these kings that you're worried about, they'll be gone. It seems like a timeline too. Like he seems like, as the child is growing, you know, he's eating different food or whatever. Yep. As a, I guess, as a sign for how, how old he is, um, that by this stage um, of his development, Yep. then this is going to happen. Exactly. It's,
2: yep. it's, it's a
0: timeline. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So what I did in, in preparation for that question is I, because <laughs> I know the answer, but I thought I'm, I can't say it as articulately. Yeah. So I just um, I just did a bit of research before I came, uh, before you arrived, just so I could kind of answer, have a go at answering this question. Um, let just see if this helps. The Gospel of Matthew cites the prophecy of Isaiah 14, 7, 14, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son and shall be called Emmanuel as being fulfilled by the birth of Jesus. That's Matthew 1. 22 and 23. The context in Isaiah, however, is quite different. It's given to King Ahaz of Judah as a sign during a time of military crisis around the 8th century BCE. There are several ways to understand how Matthew could use this prophecy. One, typology. One common approach is to see Isaiah's prophecy as having a, quote, double fulfillment. The immediate fulfillment provided is assigned to Ahaz, but a greater fulfillment comes later in Jesus, who embodied the meaning of Emmanuel, God with us, in a more profound way. Two, interpretive tradition. It's worth noting that Jewish methods of interpreting Scripture at the time often sought deeper, sometimes even allegorical meanings. Matthew, writing to a largely Jewish audience, could be employing a similar method to convey that Jesus is the ultimate realization of God's promises, including the sign that was given to Ahaz. Three, messianic expectation. Many Jews in the first century were eagerly awaiting a Messiah, often thought to be a descendant of David like Ahaz. Matthew could be drawing a parallel between the ancient sign given to the Davidic king and the ultimate fulfillment in Jesus, an expected Davidic Messiah. And fourth, universalization. While the original context was specific to Ahaz and Judah at the time, at the, sorry, Judah, the name Emmanuel Was a timeless quality God with us? Matthew may have been seen in Jesus. You may may have seen in Jesus the universal realization of this promise: God being with humanity in a unique and unparalleled way. So I knew that you'd ask that question because it applies to a lot of these scriptures. why I thought I'd take it. We won't. We won't need to revisit it on all these prophecies Mm. because you will see this time and time again. It seems like. The New Testament writers break all the rules that you would learn in Bible college about how to interpret Bible when mm. they want to quote Old Testament yeah, yeah. in New Testament contexts. Mm. They seem to pluck things yeah. out of their context, and yeah. we've always been told, "Yeah, yeah, don't do that." Yeah, yeah, we. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've always wrestled with that. Yeah. Why? Why can they do that? Yeah, yeah. And the old traditional answer was, "Well, they're inspired by the Holy Spirit; they can do mm. whatever they want." But I see there's a danger in in that.
1: Yeah, totally. And I mean, my understanding too is they're. They're not writing the Bible, they're writing accounts. They're writing yep. their side of it. There, so we've turned it in, obviously, rightly so, into a very important and very holy book. But they didn't have a book. Yes, they had the Old Testament, you know, and and all that to kind of lean back on. You know, when Paul's writing his letters, he's not sitting there going, "Oh, this will be in the Bible." No, he's not thinking of it. Yes, I don't think. Do you know he's what thinking, I mean? Yeah, I don't.
0: He's think writing he's, a letter to. Yeah, a, he's writing to a letter for a specific purpose. Yeah. yeah. To, to how much he had a sense that they would then be developed into the holy scriptures is unclear. Yeah. Um. I, there's a few scholars who think he may well have had some understanding that there was divine that was going to be used in that way, but it was hundreds of years later before it really was. Yeah, used Yeah. Yeah. Totally. It yeah. There was. <coughs> Peter does make a reference to Paul at some point in his writing, he says, you know, just as our brother Paul wrote to you, Mm. um, I know his stuff's hard to understand, he says, Mm, mm. but, um, you know, men do twist this to make it sound what he's not saying, just like they do with the other scriptures. Mm. So Peter seems to be almost recognizing there's something inspired about Paul's writings. He references it alongside the scriptures. But apart from that, your answer is yes, they weren't sitting down to write a, Mm. um, a Bible They were sitting down to address certain things or tell a story like the gospel of Matthew, the the story of Christ. So I think with that in mind, Matthew is deeply Jewish. They are entrenched in this view. So the one that I liked of those is this interpretive tradition. Mm. By the time of Jesus, there is so many different schools of Jewish thought Mm. about how to interpret the ancient scriptures. And some of those views were very allegorical. Mm. to the point where we would look at it and go, oh, the risk is you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. Yeah, yeah, that's you know? right. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I wanted to bring it up that mm. um, it does create one of those wait, what moments for us mm. when we read it and go, that's not talking about Jesus. Mm. That's talking about a, a king. Yeah. And for some of you, you might not have even realized that it wasn't in the first instance talking about mm. Jesus. Mm. I think a lot of readers just assume they read that in the New Testament and they think, oh, that must just be a prophecy about Jesus yeah. in the Old Testament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without realizing that, no, it actually in its first instance mm. wasn't. Yep. so I'm comfortable now with this interpretive tradition that says scripture is um, scripture prophetically is is cyclic mm. that's how the Jews saw things they saw things having multiple fulfillments mm. so something might have a natural fulfillment mm-hmm. but it ultimately might also be part of God's story for a greater fulfillment stepping up a level it's almost like a chapter that you step out of the chapter into the whole book mm. and so every time you go up a level, It's part of a more expansive story. Yeah, cool. And I think that's how to view these prophecies.
1: Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Okay, so... I
0: want to add one more thing. When it says the virgin shall be with child, in Mm. its original context, it wasn't talking about a virgin either.
1: Oh, yeah, I was going to actually ask that. Yeah.
0: So... Uh, It would have been a young woman who... Right, a young a young girl who got married. Not a literal ver- vers not a, not a literal yeah. version yeah. who was impregnated. Yeah. Con- otherwise we would have two immaculate conceptions. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Whoever that mother was yeah, 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 would yeah. also have been like Mary. Yeah. So it's a picture that's talking about a mother who mm. was probably a young girl who got married and then had a child. Yeah. But the scholars have picked that up, taken it up a level, and God has used that story mm. to tell the story about an actual virgin yeah. who's impregnated by the Holy Spirit.
1: Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Good one. Um okay Just a bit of a random one in, where are we? Verse 18. Oh, yeah. So, on that day, the Lord will whistle to the fly that is at the farthest streams of the Nile and to the bee that is in the land of Assyria. Why a fly and why a bee? And my thought was, well, no, I'll let you. Uh, Why whistle to the fly? Why not an eagle?
0: Why not a a, a lion? I'm going to go to a different version. My, My first thought about fly... Is um, when you say when it says fly in Egypt, I'm thinking the plague of flies. Well, that's what I had
1: p- pestilence. Pestilence. Yeah. yeah, I'm
0: thinking that. I'm thinking also. But you don't think of Baal is the Lord of the Flies.
1: Oh, okay. I think that's
0: also yeah, yeah. part of it. So there's, this, I think. But, that's, but then the bee is not necessarily. No, the bee is not necessarily. Bee is a good thing. Yeah. Oh, other than the fact that the bee can sting, maybe. Yeah. Um, what is it? I'm going to look at the NIV. In that day, the Lord will whistle for the flies from the Nile Delta in Egypt and for the bees from the land of Assyria. (coughs) They will come and settle in the steep ravines and the crevices in the rocks and the thorn bushes. In that day, the Lord will use a razor. Okay, so both of them are negative context. Mm. So I think you need to be thinking about the pestilence of flies from down south and the stinging of the bees. They're thinking about this Assyrian army as a like a bee sting. Yeah. I think okay.
1: that's what it's saying. Yeah, yeah. It then goes on in that same little bit to talk about this guy getting shaved. He's, um, on that day, the Lord will use a razor hired from beyond the Euphrates River, the king of Assyria, to shave the head, the hair on the legs, and to remove the beard as well. Um, that's is, is he talking about Judah? The... Uh, what's the context? He's probably referring to, <coughs> so is this
0: Ahaz? So he's talking to Judah. In its context, the northern kingdom is obliterated by Assyria. Yeah. And the southern kingdom gets a close shave.
1: Right. Nice one. I like your pun there.
0: I think that's what it's saying. Yeah. Because it actually comes, they come all the way up to Jerusalem. They basically conquer the rest of it. Right. There's only a remnant inside Jerusalem that survived.
1: I had interpreted that, yeah, more. That close shave is probably a good way to put it. Yeah. I think that's what it, I'm it reading. It, it. I mean, to me, it sort of sounds like. Um, this idea of shaving and, and everything, it's like removing a sense of dignity. Um, it's sort of like stripping someone back to, you know, like, um, yeah, a sense of vulnerability, lack of dignity. That works
0: too. Yeah. Because there's that story where David sent his, his servants to Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, and to wish them well because mm. his father had been on good terms with him, and they um, says they shaved off their beards and cut off their robes at the mm. buttocks and sent them back again. Mm. And that was uh, that was um, when they shaved off their beards and did all that and shaved mm. their hair and everything. It was a sign of emasculating them. Yeah, yeah. And David said, "Don't come back to Jerusalem. Don't embarrass yeah. yourself. Stay there until your beards grow back." Yeah. So yes, it could it could be the so the new the NIV actually says the king of Assyria will shave your heads and your private parts
1: oh, right. and, cut your the, be-
0: and cut off your beards right. also. So, yeah, you're right. It could be more along the lines and of this kind of a bit saucy. emasculation yeah. kind of concept. Yeah, I think. yeah. Okay. Yeah,
1: I think that could be it. Cool. Um, and just another little random one. Any um, ideas on what the – moving ahead into 22, there's the reference to butter and honey, which is also referred back um, a few verses earlier about um, this child eating butter yes. and honey. Um, have you got any thoughts around the significance of butter and honey? I think it's a
0: sign of, um, it's supposed to be a sign of good, healthy produce. Right. So they were going to come into the land flowing with milk and honey. Yep. So, and, and they'd been in Egypt, which other than the region of Goshen where they were, it's not a very fertile region. Mm. Um, they'd, then they spent 40 years in the desert region in Southern, Southern Israel and there was this, if you look at it on a map, you can see the greenery of the land of Israel. So mm. it's prophetically speaking of the goodness and the fat okay. of the land. And prosperity. and stuff. The prosperity, yes, yeah. exactly. Okay. So I think that's what it's saying. Cool. All who remain in the land will eat curds and honey. Mm. In that day, every place where there were a thousand vines worth, uh, worth a thousand the thousand silver shekels, there will only be briars and thorns. Well, I think what it's saying is there's going to be so few people left in the land mm. that everyone who is left mm. is going to be able to eat. Right. I think okay. that's what I'm saying. It's a poetic way of saying there'll be a remnant mm. and there'll be plenty for them, but mm. that's because most people will have been judged and right. conquered or whatever.
1: Yep. Okay. Cool. That's it for, uh, for Isaiah 7. Isaiah 7. All right.
0: Isaiah 8 next.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, so moving into chapter 8, I'll just read leading in. So then the Lord said to me, take a large piece of parchment and write on it with an ordinary pen. Come on, you can do this. Say it. Oh, right, sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Mahal sahal hashbaz. Not bad, not bad. Actually, that wasn't the bit I wanted to look into. It (laughs) then goes into verse 3 and says, I was then intimate with the prophetess, and she conceived and gave birth to a son. Uh, Prophetess, are we assuming this is Isaiah's wife? Is yes. she also a prophet? Yes, I think that's what it's saying. Okay. That, uh, I
0: think in the NLT will actually say, I slept with my wife and she right. became pregnant. Okay. So I think Once by virtue of the fact that down. Isaiah is a prophet, and his wife is a prophetess. I think it's yeah, yeah. Okay. for that.
1: Cool. Verse 8, we've got this word Emmanuel again mm-hmm. at the end of a judgment kind of passage. Yes, it is, isn't it? So can you give me any kind of context to why this word Emmanuel pops up We think of Emmanuel being God with us Mm -hmm. and a sense of almost comfort. Yep. Christmas time and all that kind of thing. Yes, that's right. Why would it be linked to judgment? So why is it linked here to this judgment?
0: We may have to read in its context. So the Lord said to me, I I apologize for reading it, but let's just work it through. Yeah,
2: go for
1: it.
0: The Lord said to me, verse 1, Make a large signboard and clearly write on it, Mahal Mahal (laughs) Shalal Hashbaz. I asked Uriah, the priest, and Zechariah, the son of Jerobakiah, both known as honest men, to witness me doing this. Then I slept with my wife and she became pregnant, gave birth to a son, and the Lord said, call him Mahal Shalal Hashbaz. For before this child is old enough to say papa or Mummy, the king of Assyria will carry away the abundance of Damascus and the riches of Samaria. So it's in this time that that northern kingdom is about to be demolished. Mm-hmm. <coughs> and then obviously they're going to come south. Then the, to, to to Judah. Then the Lord spoke to me again and said, "My care for the people of Judah is like the gently flowing waters of Shiloh, but they have rejected it. They are rejoicing over what will happen to King Rezin and King Pekah. Therefore, the Lord will overwhelm them with a mighty flood from the Euphrates River. The king of Assyria and all his glory. The the flood will overflow all its channels and sweep into Judah until its chin deep. It will spread its wings, submerging your land from one end to the other." O Emmanuel, so we, I think what it's going to say is God is you are the God with us, people, mm. Judah, but because you are going to look arrogantly upon others as though somehow your own righteousness has kept you from judgment, and you're just going to scoff at the kings of the nations around who get defeated by the Assyrians, you're going to have a, you're not having an attitude that God is with you. Mm. You're actually having an attitude that somehow by your own power or strength or righteousness you've survived this. God's actually going to say, I'm going to let the king come right up Jindy, mm. basically, right I said, right up to Jerusalem, yeah. yep. right up to the, basically almost annihilation point mm. because of their arrogance, because right. of their self-centeredness. So the O Emanuel there is, I think, it has to be talking to Judah and mm. it's saying, I'm with you, mm. but are you going to accept that I'm with you or are you going to try to cons- ignore me and still mm. do things your own way? Okay.
1: Yep. That's it's cool. like a pleading.
0: Yeah. I think. Yep. Okay. That's how I read that.
1: Yeah. That, that sounds good. Thank you.
0: A bit of history helps... T- these these prophetic mm. passages without history of what's going oh, on yeah, don't yeah. mean anything. So yeah. hopefully we can shed some light on some of that.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: Um, I think I've said this before. Yeah, you know, John Pastor Jonathan Keldy says that I, I mean I love the book of Isaiah, but he says it's um it's a it's a book full of milk arrowroot biscuits with occasional Tim Tams hidden away. Nice. <laughs> and that's pretty much an explanation yeah. of it. every now and then there's a little Tim Tam that's in there, but yeah but it's a highly quoted book in the New Testament. It's the most quoted yeah. book after Psalms in the New yeah. Testament. I heard <coughs> it's, it's uh, also called the mini
1: Bible. Yes, it is. Yeah.
0: yeah for so many reasons. Lots of reasons. Yeah. Old yep. Testament, new. almost exactly the yep. Old Testament, New Testament, all kinds of things. Yeah. 66 books, 66, 66 chapters, books. et yep. yeah, yeah. 66 books, 39. And then it's changes in chapter yep. 40, yeah, which yeah. is the beginning of the New Testament. I yeah. mean, yeah, that's a whole lot of things about it. Yeah. It's fascinating. But you really do uh, – one good thing, one good way to learn and enjoy the book of Jude, uh, the book of Isaiah actually is to read some historical fiction. Mm. There's some good Christian historical fiction out there about the kings okay. um, of this time. Mm. Um, and so if you go searching through that, it, it's a good way to, <clears throat> to get a history understanding of what's mm. going on around, which will then help you. Um, the good historical fiction writers will actually take the – biblical characters, mm. flesh them out a bit, yeah. make it fictional, yeah, yeah. but put it in their context and suddenly, oh, that
1: makes sense. I can okay. see what's going on. Yeah, there. yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh. So there's some, there's some good ways to do that. All right. I yeah.
1: have to get you to recommend some later. Yeah, I'll, I'll have a think about it while you keep yeah, talking. Yeah. Um, so then in my notes here, we get into 9 and 10 um, and this kind of confusing contradictions in some ways um, band together Again, this might be my translation. Could be a translation. Band together, peoples, and be broken. Pay attention, all your distant lands. Prepare for war and be broken. Prepare for war and be broken. Devise a plan; it will fail. Make a prediction; it will not happen. For God is with us. So, no matter what the enemy does, Mm.
0: it's going to fail because God's with us. Right? You know. Oh, I see. Okay. No matter what you do, yes, it'll. uh, It's very similar to in Acts chapter four when they pray and they say they quote psalm why do the nations hmm. rage in vain against the lord and against his mighty one so i think it's that's whole it's it's almost like a taunt right saying no matter what you do god's on our side
1: okay gotcha all right so that's talking more to the other nations i talking more to the nations israel and this or, is what
0: happens i mean you know, we were talking to israel Yeah, now we yeah, seem to be talking that, to the okay other that makes more yes, sense i think
1: that's how i read that okay cool thank you um, and then in verse 14 jumping ahead He will be a sanctuary, but for the two houses of Israel, he will be a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over and a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Um, Is there any reference here to, is it, is there any point? I can't remember. It just feels familiar where Jesus is referred to as the rock. Paul Paul quotes him. Yeah, one that will cause people to stumble. Yes. So is there a a connection there? Paul's quoting this about Jesus. Okay. So here in this case, it's
0: the Lord who is the one who is the stumbling block, isn't it?
1: Yes. <coughs> and and it, it seems as though he is a stumbling block just for Jerusalem. Yes. Um, so in this case, because because they, yes, in this case he's saying,
0: he will keep you safe, but to Israel and Judah, he will be a stone that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall. For the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many will stumble and fall never to rise again. So, yes, I think the call is because you're not trusting God, Mm. you're not doing it God's way, God is going to be a stumbling block in your path.
1: So who's he the sanctuary for then? Who's what, sorry? Who is he the sanctuary for? Um,
0: I think he would be the sanctuary for those who trust him. Right. The difference here is at this time he's rebuking Judah for not trusting him. Right. These are people who are refusing to experience Emmanuel. They're refusing to acknowledge that God is with them. Mm. And if they don't, God will say, well, if you're not going to follow me, I'm mm. going to get in your way. Yeah, okay. And I think that's the point. So Paul will pick that up and he refers it to Jesus and he says, where he says Jesus is um, to the Gentiles, he's, it's yes. foolishness. Yeah. Or to the Jews, it's foolishness. Yeah. And to the Gentiles, it's, what's he say? I can't remember. <coughs> I remember where the. But he quotes yeah, it. He's, yeah. it's two different things. Yeah. Mm. Um, So yes, the Jews weren't looking for a resurrected Messiah, a dead Messiah. That was the thing. Yeah. And the Gentiles thought resurrection was crazy. Yeah. So in that sense, the truth about Jesus is a stumbling block. And I think Mm. if we apply that to our lives, anytime we think we know best and we go Mm. our way, we will find ourselves butting up against Mm. God. Mm. Because God's getting in the way because he wants to reveal himself the way he is to Mm. us, Mm. not the way we think we need to go.
2: Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. Cool. Uh let me just see what else. I think that's all I had for – there's obviously way more. There's a lot um, of there yeah, in my Isaiah Yeah, yeah, but that's probably all enough right. for All right, we'll go on to – Isaiah nine now? No, we move – we jump
0: ahead 11, to 11. 11, I think, mm-hmm. yeah. Just before we go there, I found it in my Kindle, the series of books um, that I recommend are by a lady by the name of Lynn Austin. Mm -hmm. Uh, Return to Me is one of them. Keepers of the Covenant and On This Foundation, a three-part book. And it's about a lot of it's about the life of Hezekiah. Oh, cool. So it gives you a lot of, and Isaiah's in it, Mm. so it gives you a lot of this understanding um, to fill out. So when you read Isaiah, it makes sense to you. She got a graphic novel version? Um, you can listen to it. I don't yeah, think okay. you have got a graphic nozzle. I think there's audible versions of these, but I don't think there's a graphic no, novel no. version. You sorry. have to listen to it. I'm sorry. It's, it's just that's just teenage me. It's yeah. just your visual creative oh, arts yeah. <laughs> side. Of it. Yeah. Maybe you should or read it and then do, write some great a
1: yeah. cre- write gra- Turn it into a graphic. It's art, true. graphic yeah, that's true. That's true. All right. Uh, okay, so chapter 11 of Isaiah. Kicking off right in verse 1, <clears throat> then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse. Why Jesse and mm. not David? Not David. Uh, yeah. Is there a significance there? Because he comes up again a bit later, I think, as well, talking about Jesse. Oh, yeah, in uh, verse yeah 10, on that day, the root of Jesse.
0: So in the NLT, it says, out of the stump of David's family. Mm. But then it's highlighted saying the stump of the line of Jesse. Mm. Yes. I, I suspect it's poetic. Okay. Um,
1: Jesse if, if just it, sounded better?
0: Jesse, yeah. You know, I don't know. Yeah, that's okay. They've obviously – yeah, they've, so the NLT have made a decision to say David's family so it makes more sense. Yeah. But it actually in the original language is not David's family. It's actually referring to Jesse. Because it's well,
1: interesting like, because he's not – he doesn't seem to be a main kind of point of – No, he's not. It's just
0: come back to me. I, I think I heard Tim Mackey talk about this, the back of my mind here, so I don't want to definitely no, no. say it was him. I think it's the poet – it's the prophet's way of saying it's not going it, – he's not going to be another one like David mm. he's going to be another David like that I like it yes like if it. he if he came from David, David he would be a Solomon yeah okay but if he's a, if he comes out of Jesse who is yeah. David's father yeah. he's actually a new David. Yes. So the Messiah is a brand new yes. fulfillment of David. Okay. us just come back to him. I, I like reckon it. that makes sense. Yeah, that me. does make sense. Yeah. Okay. Thanks if that was Tim Mackey. Thank you. That was back in somewhere in the back
1: of my recesses of my yeah. brain. i knew that recently. Because, I mean, we're jumping ahead here, but where my brain then goes is when we get into Hebrew about Melchizedek, Melchizedek and that whole idea of it's almost like Jesus is from... A Different line, he is correct, even though he's yes. from the same line, yes. it's a different line. He's a new priesthood,
0: and yeah. we well, you're gonna see that when we link yeah. the two together. He's priest and king together, yeah. yes. And I think that that does fit, yeah, the context here. If it was, yeah. yes, it's not the stump of Je- David, it's the stump, yeah, of Jesse. I like that. that, yeah.
2: that,
1: that,
0: that sits so, there. we're getting ahead of ourselves for those that are listening to Isaiah 11. Uh, we haven't read it yet. This is a quite an extensive prophecy a very clear prophecy about the Messiah. It's one of the earliest prophecies of Isaiah in the Old Testament that start to build up towards an understanding of what Messiah would look like.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, (coughs) Okay, so then in verse 3, his delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. He will not execute justice by what he hears with his ears, but he will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed of the land. Um, I just found it interesting uh, just that idea of he is not judging by what he sees and he's not judging by what he hears. Um, it's a different kind of judgment. Um, it's a see-all, know-all judgment I
0: think is what it's saying as okay. opposed to um, in this sense it's what you see and what you hear. Think of it like um, – you know, Proverbs says you, uh, you hear one side of a case and it seems to make sense and you hear the other side and you go, well, that makes sense too. Okay. So it's like it's this idea of seeing beyond the natural mm. and being truly right in his judgments as opposed to yep. being swayed by a legal argument.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's where my head was going in the sense of we can only really judge by what we see and what we hear, yep. um, whereas he it's almost like he doesn't judge the same way. Man judges. That's is the right. Same. And the Proverbs, uh, scriptures say that all all through. You know the thing that just come to my head. It's probably more an American thing, but is it Lady Liberty that has the scales? Yes, and yep. she's blindfolded.
0: Yes, and that's based upon an ancient Greek. Right, God. that's more that. That is that the sense same of justice?
1: Right. Okay. So yeah, yeah. Yes,
0: I think the blindfolded thing was to, that that they it was to they're not say, judging by what they see. They weren't see. judging by there was a, there was a truth, an actual balance of law mm. there. Uh, because if you think about it in this time, I mean, God is constantly, Isaiah is constantly rebuking the kings because they were judging by what they see. And if you look at it in the context of what it goes on, it's saying God's going to judge in view of the justice and the poor and the mm. needy, whereas most people, most mm. unruly kings would issue the judgment on who was prepared to give them the most money. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. It was, unf- you know, so God's, yeah, I think that picture of blinding their mm. eyes or whatever, it's a picture of
1: true justice. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Thank you. Um, Verse 4, he will strike the lamb with discipline from his mouth and he will kill the wicked. I always struggle with whenever I hear God killing someone. Mm -hmm. Um, Have you got any other things you want to unpack there? Um,
0: We've talked numbers of times in this podcast about the whole idea of the justice of God Mm. and the righteousness of God and all that kind of stuff. I think um, without going into a massive amount of depth again about it, I think we need to understand that, we, in fact we talked about it on the yeah, yeah, previous sure we did. episode yeah, 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 too. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah now that it comes back to me <laughs> we we had some conversations afterwards around yeah. that concept. I think I've come to this understanding that um when god when it says things like this if it's truly god who is slaying the wicked mm. and you know bringing Assyria against them mm. or the Babylonians against them using another power to bring justice to them we we have to wrestle with that it doesn't sound like mm. a gracious god. I think how I've come to recognize it is that God still remains just and fair. He just doesn't judge for his own purposes. As Mm. I said earlier, he judges (coughs) on what's right for others when people are being mistreated. Mm. And so in the infinite wisdom of God, which is beyond our understanding, God will allow um, or or use the wickedness of others to bring justice for the purpose of halting further injustice Mm. left to our own devices we will go further astray. So, if God is going to uh, use one nation against another, it will probably be um, because the nation that's being judged, mm. w- left to their own devices, would have become even worse. Yep, that's that's how I try. Yeah, yeah. To wrestle yep. with the concept of the justice of God.
1: Okay. There's another passage in uh, I think it's in Exodus where Moses he's just called Moses to um, go and deliver the people, um, and then there's this random part, I can't remember where it is, where it says, and the Lord sought to kill him. Yes. Yep. Um, and then – It's all about circumcision. Yeah, he's, he's saved by circumcision. Yeah. The flying foreskin. I think it's thrown across the floor. The flying foreskin. Yeah, that was the title of my essay. Um, <laughs> Very good. So, yeah, I, I'm still wrestling with this whole idea of uh, – a friend of mine, Peter Hyatt, um, said it to me this way, which I found helpful – when we think of killing, we think basically when you murder or you kill someone, you're taking a life that isn't yours. But every life belongs to God, yeah, and so therefore, um, it's it's sort of this this idea that it's rightfully His. He can sort of do not not in a cruel way, but he can he has the right to do it. Yeah. Um, and because a lot of our atonement theories tend to see God being a murderer. He murders his own son. Yeah, that's right. We kind of have this lens where we see God as being this killer. We think God can do that and Yeah, he wants to do that or and something he's, like. Yeah, and exactly, and he enjoys doing it. <laughs> um, he's a vindictive kind mm, of mm. thing. So anyway, that's kind of where I'm sitting that's with it. That's good. A, I like that thought of yeah. God can do it um,
0: because all life belongs to him. Exactly. I think the challenge still has to wrestle with, well, just. but if God is the giver of life, mm-hmm. is he also being vindictive, he takes life. I think we still need to go, okay, well, why would God take yeah, life? Yeah, yeah. I mean, because so
1: we, we're in the realms of philosophy. Yeah, yeah. We also have to struggle with like Adonais and Sapphira and yes, all that kind of stuff that's as right. well, right? But, yeah, so, and Uzziah,
0: we've done that with, yeah, yeah. Um, in previous months, talking about eye yeah. touching the ark and all that. So we, yep. we do need to wrestle with the complexity mm. and the nuance of these stories. Mm. Um, and there are very nuanced perspectives that you can come to. I'm, I'm more concerned when I find a Christian that is just adamant on one view. Yeah, and they just seem so blanketed, and they, yeah, yeah. You, more often than not, they're very harsh. A hundred percent. And that's where I go. Oh, I, I think, don't presume to understand this. I've heard people say, you know, if we if we think we can fully grasp the nature of God, we've probably created God in our image rather than yeah, God yeah, being yeah, created yeah, than yeah. us, you know, being yeah. created in His image. I think there is a depth and a supernatural wisdom mm. that we will never
1: mind Fully mind the riches of. What does your version say? Is there other? What do other versions say About instead judgment, of kill?
0: Um, it was verse four. Verse but the four. righteous he will judge the needy. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Slay. So this is definitely a a, a judgment, like a yeah, a wartime military kind of mm. judgment view there. The N uh, the NLT that was the NLT was it? Uh, NLT says he will destroy the wicked. Then that was mm-hmm. the end. Yep. So then NASB says he will slay the wicked. Yep. So there are all different versions, but they're essentially saying it's mm. it's a military what, term. What did
1: the King James
0: say? Uh, the King James I've got open now says he will slay the wicked. Slay. Okay. Cool. Yeah.
1: Awesome. So
0: that does sound.
1: Isn't that great? Yeah. Does, yeah it sounds
0: yeah. awesome is not the word I'd use. <laughs> all right. But I, I think we have to put it in its context yeah, totally. as best as we can. It makes
1: me want to go and do a bit more of a deep dive mm. into the the word there and everything yeah. as well.
0: These are, these are the kinds of script things that theologians and philosophers will yeah. wrestle oh, with. Because yeah.
1: this, this we have to ask
0: ourselves, what is this revealing about God? Mm.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm. Um, okay, and then moving ahead to verse 6, um, this strange little part where we've got um, a wolf will live with a lamb the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the young lion, and the fatling will be together, and a child will lead them. Mm. Who's the child? Oh, who's the child? Or is there no child? Uh,
0: I think in it's the- It's just generally, because talking think, about infants yes, further down. I think in the first instance, it's just a poetic language for okay. saying, you know, when there's so much, you know, leopards and goats don't get on with each yeah, other, yeah. Uh, wolves and lambs don't get on with each other, but it's going to be so much peace. Yep. The little child can lead all these vicious animals. Right now, having said all that, I'd, I'd have no problems if Matthew in the New
1: Testament had decided to pluck that scripture yeah. out of its context and refer it to Jesus yeah, a, yeah, yeah. in the
0: manger. But I don't think that's because my follow saying.
1: up question was where Where is he leading them? Yeah, but
0: I think it's just a poetic just, way of saying yeah. peace. Okay, peace. Yeah. Um, but like I say, yeah, I, this is this is a good example of how a New Testament writer could take that and make it say yeah. something that's not saying.
1: But I've been trained not to do that. Yeah, yeah, because it, it's like I, as soon as I saw it and a child will lead them, I just for some reason go messianic Messi- yes. on it. Well, so this is a messianic
0: yeah. prophecy. We started with definitely something that's talking about this future one. Yeah, it would make sense that if they're doing that with the earlier verses, that as they develop a messianic understanding, they mm. may then apply that to. That child reference to the Messiah,
1: yeah, because the whole idea of a child leading to me sounds like a very peaceful thing, but there's almost a sense of authority yeah. in a child leading yes. these creatures. Yep. yep. So,
0: I, I, look, I'm, the yeah. more you talk about it, the more I think <laughs> I think that there's a valid thing because later on, it's going to talk about this root of Jesse again, yeah, and it personalises it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it does like it does go a little bit further um, about the infants um, being able to play in a cobra's pit, like yep. a toddler in. Yep, you yep. know all that kind of stuff so i, I get that there's probably um, maybe i am reading too much into it and so i think at one
0: sense when you think about what Isaiah was most likely writing mm. i think it's more likely he was just writing a piece of poetry to yep. illustrate that piece this piece is going to yeah, come not so much
1: a messianic thing but
0: but, but i also think that over time mm. in the in the subsequent 6 700 years leading up to the birth of Christ. This is a good example of what the Jewish rabbis, especially mm. in the post-exilic period, they did with these scriptures. They went back and dug into them, and they pulled yep. things out of them, and it developed into their psyche, yep. into their framework, a and clearer picture of what, of what Messiah would look like. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that you know, this is quite foreign to a lot of people. They kind of think when you go back to the Old Testament that the Messiah, the concept of Jesus, is all laid out from mm. page one. It's mm. prophetically, it's. Progressive in its prophetic mm. declaration over time they get a clearer and pe- clearer picture. I think I described it, it maybe on one of the podcasts I was recording yesterday like a snowball going down a hill. Mm. It's gaining more snow. Mm. It starts with just a little bit, but as it rolls down the hill, it gains more and more. by the time you get to jesus there's a there's a fleshed out mm. mentality about the Messiah, yeah that took hundreds of years to develop.
1: yeah yep, okay cool. Okay. Yeah. I've got more questions around that, but not not for this podcast. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. I think that'll do for verse. Uh, sorry, chapter 11. Chapter we can 11. get into Hebrews. Time to head to Hebrews. All right. Good name for a cafe. All right. Jumping into Hebrews. Um, once again, there is so much in like every verse that I would love to unpack, but we won't. Let's <laughs> um, we'll see if we can find a few little nuggets in yeah. it all. So chapter six, um, again, I'm probably coming to the party late because I haven't read all the uh, leading up to this. So maybe I'm just asking for a bit more clarification in this little section. Um, verse one and two... It talks about, um, therefore, leaving the elementary message about the Messiah. Let us go into maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, faith in God, teaching about ritual washings, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And we will do this if God permits. Is he saying that those things are the elementary issues? <laughs> isn't it amazing? <laughs> yeah. you
0: I mean, Christians can't even agree about some of that stuff, isn't it? Yeah.
1: So is there, is there a bit of debate about what he's actually referring to there? Or? Uh, well, in this context, he's just... Because I felt like I was just coming to the movie yes, later. Yes, it, it is like that, yeah. Okay. So,
0: so the general consensus, general understanding about Hebrews, there's a lot that we don't know. We yeah. don't know who wrote it. I think for a long time history said Paul wrote it, but I think most modern Pauline scholars would say there's a bit too much difference, that it's not right. like it was Paul who wrote it, probably been Barnabas or someone who, okay. someone who knew Paul, someone who's close to him but maybe not him. I think that's the prevailing view these days. Okay. Um, who was written to specifically doesn't say, mm-hmm. we know from the context it was written to a Jewish audience. These people knew their old Testament. They especially knew the priestly stuff inside out and back mm-hmm. to front, as we're going to see when we get, yep. get into these chapters and immediately in the pre- preceding <coughs> chapters, um, he'd been talking about Sabbath rest. He'd been talking about priests, the priesthood and mm-hmm. how it all worked and how we can come into the presence of mm-hmm. God through the priest, and that'll priestly sacrifice. That'll yep. keep coming up all the way through. Yeah. It's heavy in priestly context. And the context that scholars seem to think about Hebrews is it was probably written to a people who were Christian Jews who were facing persecution Mm -hmm. and were facing the temptation to maybe go back to Judaism again, right? to go back to the old Jewish practice as opposed to following Christ.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. And they say that may have been because in some parts parts of the Roman Empire, um, at this time, the Christians had the luxury of being seen as a Jewish sect, which allowed them to still um, have a freedom of religion aspect Mm -hmm. because the Jews were allowed to worship. They were the only people group in all of the Roman Empire that were allowed to have their own religious practices. Oh, right. Okay. That was such a pain Mm. to the Romans. The Romans said, okay, as long as you offer sacrifices for Caesar's benefits, you can still do that. No other people group could do that across the empire. They were allowed to keep Sabbath. They were allowed to do all Mm. those things. Um, But in other parts of the empire – uh, the Christians very quickly, the Jews very quickly, distanced themselves from the Christians and said, "That's not us." Mm. And so they came under tremendous persecution because they were worshiping, they weren't worshiping like everyone else. They didn't, and they didn't have the luxury or the freedom to be able to do it. So they faced persecution. Therefore, I can un- understand why they would want to go back to the old way. They go, "Well, that worked okay for us for two thousand years. Why don't we go mm. back?" So the Hebrews, seem, the writer to Hebrews, seems to be showing how. Don't go back to that. Yeah. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that was carried in that. Yeah. He is the ultimate fulfillment. And so he uh, he's going I want you to move now beyond mm. the basic
1: things about Jesus, the basic teaching. What he listed them? What did you say they were? They yeah. were Yeah. Um, um laying laying again uh foundation of repentance from dead works. So repentance, yep. yep. Faith in God. Um teaching about ritual washings, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. I mean, they all seem like pretty relevant things even.
0: They all sound like pretty in-depth theological subjects in and of themselves. And yet the Hebrew's writer seems to be saying these things are elementary. Right. That's quite confronting for us, isn't it? Totally. Yeah. Um, um, Years ago when I was a young Christian, my pastor, Bob Foister, he did a series of studies um, on this passage and he actually went, okay, I'm going to teach on each of these six or seven, whatever it was. Um, fundamental. So he taught on baptism. He mm. taught on repentance. He taught on these things, and actually formed it into a little booklet that we had mm. with all this study around these. He, he goes, "We well, we might as well get beyond the milk because this is the milk. Right. We need to get onto the meat." Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. But this realization that a lot of Christians don't even have this down pat yet. Yeah. Okay. So I suspect that they probably had a better understanding of. Well, actually, he does he, If you re- keep reading. He's kind of saying, "I want you to get beyond this stuff." But, yeah. But you're still not there yet.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, or I, and I mean, say he.
0: I mean, some people think Priscilla may have written this Bible. Oh, that's cool. So it could be a woman. So yeah. let's just say the the author.
1: The author. Um, I mean, because it probably ties in. My next point ties in with it all anyway, where it's talking about um, basically focusing on these things is like re-crucifying Jesus. Um, it's he says um, for those who have tasted the good uh, God's good word and the powers of the coming age. And who have fallen away because to their own harm, they are re-crucifying the Son of God and holding him up in contempt. So it's almost like these people, it's referring to people who had kind of like had some sort of understanding of who God was, had moved into some sort of relationship with him, and yet they're re-crucifying Jesus. Um, Is it because they're going back into these elementary Yeah, I think that's what it's trying to say. It's like Jesus has done
0: all this work for you, and now you want to go back to the pattern yeah. It actually pointed to Jesus that he was the fulfillment of. So one of the things that came up when I sort of dug into that. I bet you a would l- have found some Calvinist, because Calvinists like to use this scripture to say, once saved, always saved. Oh, do they? Yeah. I,
1: it wasn't that Didn't so much. It? it was more um, talking about um, sanctification beyond justification. Mm-hmm. So this whole idea of those those issues are talking more about justification. Paul's, or the, sorry, whoever's writing is talking about sanctification being an ongoing process, yeah, yep. and and um, that actually, in some ways, or what I took away from that was, it's almost the sanctification is almost not more important, but um, the next stage in that. So, I think that's something that makes a lot
0: of sense to me. That a lot of evangelical Christians miss. Yeah, we put such an emphasis on justification. Justification, that we go, all right, you got your ticket to heaven, now you're okay. Yeah, that's the problem. Yeah. I think this this is writing to people who are who who aren't understanding there's more to it that's just the entry mm. point mm. yeah okay. I, I think that's good
1: yeah that's kind of yeah. where my head went again there's yep. heaps in that um but i think that were they were the main things that i wanted to draw out of that so why don't we jump into 7 okay straight to 7 yeah let me just Unless cast
0: my mind over it just see if there's anything i was going to say yeah. anything quickly that I'll, I'll bring out that's worth bringing out no we'll we'll leave that we're going to go into melchizedek now i think aren't we yep. yep, we'll go to melchizedek he, he sort of gets lot um, mentioned right at the end of chapter six, but then chapter seven explains it. So we'll go to chapter seven.
1: Get dizzy with Melchizedek. Yep. Dizzy with Melchizedek. Mm. Okay. So uh, my Bible heads this chapter seven up as the greatness of Melchizedek. I've got to hear, who is Melchizedek? Um, and then it goes on to say who he was. Um, you know, this priest um, to Abraham, wasn't it? And is that right? Yes, and then, yes. Yeah. So I guess we could probably, I could tie that in with the next question, which was uh, verses 4 to 10, can you also simplify what's happening there for me? Yep. Because um, it's a big chunk of kind of. Yep, sure. Stuff. That's the whole Levi offering. Okay. Yeah. All right. So for those that don't know,
0: well, let's let's put a little bit of context into Melchizedek. Without, there's not a lot to go on anyway. Yeah. No. Melchizedek appears in Genesis. I'm gonna say 20. Mm-hmm. I don't know around Genesis 20, um, something like that. Not be earlier than that. Anyway, he appears once in the Old Testament. Mm. King uh, Abraham, Abraham goes and wins a battle and retrieves some plunder. Yeah. And uh, he. He actually then meets as he's coming back from the battle, he come this he meets this guy called mm. Melchizedek, who's the king of Salem. Mm. Salem is means peace. Mm. And it's actually the city of Jerusalem. So mm. like Jerusalem. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So he's the king of what was Jerusalem, although mm. it wasn't called that at the time. Um, he comes out of nowhere. Mm. He appears in the story. Mm. He Abraham offers him a tithe of the spoils. Yep. And it has bread and wine with Melchizedek. Yeah. And then Melchizedek just disappears out of the story, never to appear again until Psalm one hundred and ten. Okay. He appears in Psalm 110, one verse mm. talking a messianic Psalm talking about the Messiah to come. Mm. And it says, You Messiah are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek disappears again and doesn't show up until Hebrews 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Right. Theophany so uh, that's this conjecture about whether it was a theophany or a Christophany or not. Mm-hmm. I, w- I used to be very much of the school. In fact, I remember arguing with my Bible college lecturer, Ken Chant, convinced it was a theophany, mm. and he was saying, I don't think so. Okay, And I think he was right. Mm.
1: But uh, there's a part where it's talking about how he lives forever. Really? Yes, yeah. I
0: th- and that's what I was arguing the yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. So we'll probably come to that. Yeah. Um, I think most scholars now, I'm sure it's not, a, it's not a 100% absolute, but I think most scholars think that... It's just a story that appeared supernatural, you know, in the story of the Old Testament and mm. then Hebrews and the Psalms. Pick it up to make a point, but they're inferring things about it. The, the general belief is that this was just a normal king. It's just that the fact is the scriptures don't record his birth, mm. they don't record his death, yep. and therefore the later scripture writers pick it up and go, "Well, his birth isn't recorded." Yeah. Therefore, because the scriptures haven't recorded that, he's like Jesus. The right. difference is: is he Jesus? Mm. Or is he like Jesus, okay. or should I say, is Jesus like him? Yeah, in that sense. Yeah, and that seems to be the prevailing view that it's yep. not a theophany or a Christophany. Where those that just means an Old Testament appearance of mm. the Lord or or of Christ, uh, unlike say where the angel of the Lord appears to Joshua, mm. um, there's pretty much conjecture among most scholars that that was probably Jesus. Right, but this one. They mm. don't okay. hold to as much. And it's all to do with the language and all that sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah, So whether it is or not, 100%, I can't say, but definitely we're going to see that he is picking up the point and he is going to show the greatness of Jesus. Mm. I think your version said, what did you say, the greatness of Melchizedek? Yes. Okay, greatness so this version, the the, the title the NLT says, Melchizedek is greater than Abraham. Right. So now the reason he's using this argument is what we just said. These Jews were thinking about going back to practice mm. ancient Judaism. Yep. He's trying to show, no, Jesus is above ancient. He's the fulfillment of ancient Judaism. You want to go back and do what Abraham did? Mm. I'm going to show you how Abraham wasn't the top of the tree. Abraham actually offered tithes tithes, to this guy. And the answer to your question about 4 to 10 Mm. was all to do with um, how he basically says Abraham offered tithes. Abraham's um, son was Jacob. It was the Isaac. His grandson was Jacob. His great grandson was Levi. Mm. And so he's saying, You want to go back to follow the Levitical Mm. priesthood duties?
2: Mm.
0: Well, I want to tell you that this Melchizedek, he was greater than Levi. Mm. Levi receives tithes when you pay them to the temple. Mm. However, this, you could even say, he says, you could even say because Levi was still in the loins of Abraham that he actually offered tithes Mm. to Melchizedek. So that's what he's trying to say. Okay. Great. And he's going to trying to elevate Melchizedek, put Jesus alongside Melchizedek, yeah. and say, "Why do you want to go back to yeah. worshipping, Le- honoring Levi when you can honor mm. the
1: one who is as great as Melchizedek?" Yeah, isn't he saying that Jesus is the line of Melchizedek as opposed um, to another Melchizedek? Not a geographic, not, not a not, not, not a genealogical not line, biologically, not but biologically. but, yeah,
0: but yes, sort of it's a priestly yeah. uh, a priesthood, priestly. Yes, yeah. yeah, so priesthoods were generally, especially in Jewish priesthoods, actually probably only exclusively in the Jewish priesthood, it was um, biologically passed Mm. down. It had to be a a descendant of Levi. Yeah. Um, And normally it was passed down from father to son. There were a couple of times where that broke and it went to an uncle or a Mm. cousin or something, but then it would be dynastic in that sense. Um, Most other nations didn't. Anyone who wanted to be a priest could be a priest regardless of where they came from, but the Jews were different. Mm. So this priesthood of Melchizedek... He was a priest of God, It says he was a priest of God most high, but he wasn't a Levite. Mm. He wasn't biologically connected to Levite. Mm. And so that's what you were asking. Yeah. The, the, the author is going to pick that up mm. and say Jesus was not from the tribe of Levi. No. He was from the tribe of Judah. Mm. He actually is the king through the line of Judah, mm. but he's also a priest, but not through the same line
2: yeah.
0: as Levi. Yeah. yeah. That's the in essence, that's the argument he's going to use, say over the next Four
1: chapters. Mm. Okay, yeah, yes. no, that makes sense. All right, what else have I got here? Our uh, uh, verse twelve. The, this idea of the change of priesthood. So let mm-hmm. me pick it up. Um, so this a superior priesthood. If then perfection came through the Levitical priesthood for under the people, uh, for under it the people received the law. What further need was there for another priest to appear, said to be in the order of uh, Melchizedek and not in the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there must be a change of law as well. Yes, and I don't know why. It was obviously
0: yeah, I was some ask. understanding that see the law was given. He's talking about the Mosaic law yeah. here, which instituted the priesthood yeah. of Aaron. Yeah, um, There must be some ancient practice that mm. said when a new priest came in, maybe the laws or the rituals change. changed to suit that new priesthood. Right. Maybe, I'm just thinking out loud here, if a new priesthood was instituted, it would often be like the new national priesthood would be instituted in a nation. It would be to worship a different God, mm. uh, like the, the dominant God would get the worship. Therefore, perhaps because of that, the the way the rituals of worship would have mm. changed, the law, mm. the ritual, not the law as in our law, but the ritualistic laws mm. of worship would have changed with the new priesthood.
1: It I seems reckon. strange to me though because um, – it seems strange to me because we've got this like stone tablet law yes, yes and we've got this tabernacle and there's you know Deuteronomy or whatever is so like uptight about how you do all these things yes. And then all of a sudden, oh, there's a new priesthood. or We can change the laws. Um, well, I don't think they would
0: have. I think it's, I think it's probably a reference to the other nations doing that. Right. That would have been a. That's what I think it means. That the standard practice is, if a new priesthood came in, right, so they would change. But the Jews this, wouldn't have changed. Right. In fact, it was abhorrent to them to think that they would change it. Okay. Um. I thought it was referring to the Jews. No, I don't think so. No. Okay. But interestingly enough, Jesus. Did institute, if you think about it, he did institute a new Mosaic law on the Sermon on the Mount. It's written in such a way that it's supposed yeah. to be a rework of the Mosaic law. Yeah. He says things like, You've heard that Moses said but this, I but I say this. Yeah. So Jesus did institute a new mm. priestly law, mm. a new way of life, a new way of conducting yourself religiously yeah. and ethically and morally on the earth. Yeah,
1: it'd just be interesting to see if they actually changed. If sorry, if, if like the Levites as they were going down, and a new priesthood came through, yeah, I don't think they would have changed anything. No, okay,
0: no, I think they would have been their interpretation of Mosaic law was always up for question, right? Um, but the but their honoring of the Mosaic law never changed, right? Okay. Uh, by the time you get to the Jewish rabbis at Jesus' time, there's all different schools of thought about how to interpret the Mo- Mosaic law, and mm. they've written the the Talmud, which is like an encyclopedia yeah, Britannica yeah, and all that yeah. on different ways to interpret it and mm. fill it out. But it's all pointed back to the Mosaic law. Yeah. They never actually
1: changed the basic principles of Moses' law. Okay, cool. Thank you. Um, Okay, and then verse 16. uh, Jesus became a priest not by meeting a
0: physical requirement of belonging, but But
2: by the
1: power of a life that
0: cannot be
2: destroyed. Yeah,
1: an indestructible life. Yeah. Um, What have I written there for? So I've got Judah and then indestructible life.
0: Judah was his... He was through the line of Judah biologically. Yes. um, But he wasn't through the line of Levi biologically. Because Judah and Levi were brothers. You can't come from the same line of
1: two brothers. So it might have been, I was sort of picking up, um, again, Melchizedek being indestructible. Yes. That might have been where I was going. And that's
0: what he's going to develop. I think in the next few chapters, he's going to try to show this point of this Melchizedek, we don't know much about him, but he seems to just appear and go... And that's why you think he's a Christophany because that's mm. what people will go. Maybe, mm. we, And maybe he just appeared and disappeared because he was a Christophany. Yeah. It certainly fits the model. <clears throat> yeah. Um, it fits the model better than to say he was an ordinary bloke, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. It's just that most scholars don't think that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Poo-poo the scholars. Yeah, poo-poo the scholars. Yeah. Who cares about the ones no, with PhDs? Exactly. Um, okay. And then I've just got verse 22 um, – so Jesus has also become the guarantee of a better covenant. And I just wrote great verse.
2: I like it. Yeah.
1: Yes. I really do like that, this whole idea of him being a guarantee of a new and a better covenant. Absolutely. Well, it yeah. doesn't involve circumcision for starters. That's a good no, start. that is
2: good. <laughs> yeah, that is good.
0: But yeah, it's a better covenant than Moses' covenant. Yeah. yeah. That's right. And it's the fact that he's the guarantee of it. Yes, exactly. Um, and he, and he's he's the high priest who never dies. He's yeah. alive forevermore. Yeah. He's going to go on and say, those priests are the old thing. They kept dying off. A new ones had to be instituted, yeah, but Jesus yeah. is an eternal high priest. Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um, and then verse 24 and 25 I really liked as well where it's, um, but because he remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently, which you just said. Therefore, he is always able to save those who come to God through him since he always lives to intercede for Love them. it. Yeah. Um, and where my head goes is he's always living and he's always interceding um, does this take us beyond the grave? Ah, as in, is, is there
0: intercession going on on our behalf beyond the grave? Yeah.
1: Hmm. Anyway, question. Just a question. Thought, just a thought. This, uh,
0: uh, tell me more about what you mean there. I, I think I know what you're saying, but just, just, <laughs> well, is I think, the intercession happening?
1: Yeah, uh, I think there's, there's this, what, what it seems to be building here is this idea that he is the guarantee of the new covenant. Um, he is, he is, um, indestructible, Um, he is always able to save. He was always, in some ways, um, he's always saving us Um, and that he always lives to intercede for them. I don't know who them is. I think all of us. Yeah.
0: All of us, all of us sinners because he's going to go on and say, he is the kind of high priest, verse 26, we need because he's holy and blameless, unstained by sin. Mm. He has been set apart from sinners, us, yep. and has given the highest place of honor. Unlike the other high priests, he doesn't have to offer sacrifices every day. First, mm. they had to offer for their own sins. Jesus has offered his own blood once and for all. Yeah, I think it's talking specifically to the Christians who are thinking about going back right. to Judaism, mm. saying don't go back to the old way. Mm. Jesus has defeated the power of your sin. Mm. And what that means into the future Mm. afterlife is probably not the primary thing on his
1: mind. The primary thing on his mind is how you're going to conduct yourself religiously in this life. Okay. I mean, you just pointed out another thing that I was going to bring up in the next part where it actually says, where it goes on to say, um, he is the kind of high priest we need, holy, innocent, um, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. The the phrase there separated from sinners is a bit confusing for me because he is not separated from sinners. Yeah, true. So, Set
0: apart from sinners and has been given I kind
1: of get where they're talking about it being he is I I see that more as sinless. Yes. As opposed to because the idea of him being separated from sinners is actually the opposite. Ridiculous. Of, it's the Emmanuel God with us in the middle it's of the, Yeah, exactly. And it's the it's the same Jesus that sat with tax collectors yeah, and prostitutes yeah. and, and I think the reference here is to the high priest.
0: Right. So it's saying the high priests. Oh, they um, were separated uh, from the sinners. Well, the high priests are like the sinners. So the high priests right. are still sinners themselves. The high priests are still humans. Right. They are in the gap. They're somehow pure and defiled at the same time. They have to. Yep. What he's saying is uh, before a high priest can operate on behalf of Simon, mm. if I'm the high priest, I'm a sinner too. Mm. I need to offer sacrifices for my own sin. And then once I get myself ritualistically pure, I can kind of stand in the gap for you. Mm. So in that sense, I'm not separated from you because I'm also a sinner. Yeah. Jesus is separated from us mm. in the sense that he doesn't have to offer sacrifices for himself because right. he's not one of us. Okay. He's sinless. Yep. So um, he's not, you know, he's not a sinner. I mm. say so he's not one of us. He is. He's, he's our mm. brother. He's a human being. But I think that's all it's saying. This separation is not a separation of. Position, mm. distance, in yep. terms of staying away from you, unclean sinners. Yeah, it's his identity is different. His yep. identity is separate because yep. he is a sinless man. We
1: are sinful yes. human beings. Yep. Okay. That. Yep. That makes sense. Um. Okay. That was sort of all I had for chapter. Seven. All right. We're going to continue on with this high priest stuff. No,
0: that's good. Out. It's all this whole passage. All these will flow together, one yeah. argument after another. Yep. So exactly. we'll go to chapter eight. Yep.
1: Okay, so Hebrews chapter 8. The first verse I kind of pulled out here was verse 5. I just need to refresh my memory. So these serve as a copy. So he's talking about like the kind of the rituals and and everything.
0: All all those things we're saying, there's priestly rituals, yep.
1: These serve as a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. As Moses was warned when he was about to complete the tabernacle, for God said, Be careful that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. Um, I think I had something about the be careful there. Can you unpack that a little bit? This whole idea of these are a shadow, these are a copy, because we need to be careful that we kind of. This has been bolded in my book, so it's kind of. They the really the want to really enhance it. Yeah. Be careful that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't quite understand how this is all fitting in with the heavenly things. Okay, so I think.
0: And this this is something that you are going to see you are seeing for the first time in this letter. It's not inferred anywhere in the Old Testament. Right. So, as the writer to the Hebrews is reflecting back on the Exodus account and the blueprints for the tabernacle yep. that Moses gets up on Mount Sinai, mm. God says, "Make sure you build it just like yeah. I've told you." Yep. And maybe the scholars, have, maybe the Hebrew rabbis, have tried to work out well why was that in so important. Mm. I don't know, but we get to the writer to the Hebrews, and they say, "I'll tell you why it was important because what that was." that tabernacle in the desert mm. was everything about that tabernacle was a microcosm, mm. was a, a type, was a blueprint. Mm. It was like a scale model. Yep. I'm trying to think of all the different yeah, metaphors yep. I like, could yep. of what the heavenly tabernacle actually looks like. Right. So if you're going to make this the mini heaven on earth, mm. it's got to be exactly right because it has to match the, the actual heaven. Right. The tabernacle was the touchdown point of heaven. On the earth, yeah. Was it a replica of, of? Yeah, well, some some people will say it was literally a replica. I don't know. I'm not totally convinced it has to be a replica because I can't imagine seeing. I don't see any reference anywhere in heaven, mm. anywhere in the Bible, to heaven looking like that. I mean, we just read the Isaiah six one. Or even just one. that whole idea of a curtain, a curtain, and, and all that, the kind separation of stuff. and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So I'm more inclined to think it's more that the symbolism mm. making it exactly right because each of those aspects of that symbolism represent something metaphorically right. about God's heavenly throne room. Right. As okay. opposed to you walk into heaven, wherever that happens to be, mm. and the first thing you see is, you know, a tent. Mm. You've got to walk through it. It might be a larger tent, but you go through a tent and then you see a priest and you see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think that's what it's saying. Yeah. I think it's more that it represents. It's what those all those symbols and posts and bowls and mm. lavers and mm. candles and bread and all that represent about heaven.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because I just, uh, it's sort of like the author is talking about everything being different from that old l- law. Mm. And then all of a sudden he's saying, but be careful yeah. and make sure you follow yeah, the pattern. I see what you're saying. So it's kind of like, well. Why isn't he just dismissing it as a yeah, older why, old why, why are you kind of. Okay, you, so what he is immediately saying prior
0: to this, in fact, it starts in verse, verse one. It says, here's the main point We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honour beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. So what he's trying to say once again is reinforce, yes, this thing on earth is important, mm. but it's this tabernacle on earth is important, but only in as much as it's a type of the real thing. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to say, do you want to go back to the temple mm. in Jerusalem, mm. which isn't the real thing? Mm. Like, are you going to take the model the, when mm. you could have the actual? Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, I'm going to drive, let's say I'm driving from here back to my place, or let's say I'm just taking a drive from here to Canberra. Mm. I can get 15 kilometres down the road up onto Princess Highway and I can see a sign saying Canberra. Mm. I'm going to park myself right next to the sign yeah, so I've yeah, arrived now. Yeah. And everyone would think I was crazy, but I'm yeah. going to park it because I've arrived in Canberra. I think that's what he's saying. Yeah. Why, why take the sign mm. when you can have the real right. thing? Okay. But the sign still represents the real thing, mm. so make sure you do the sign properly. Right. So that when you look at the lo- the sign, you can get mm. an insight into what mm. the real thing is all about.
1: Okay. Yep. That That's enough for the... The little scratch that I yep. bought, each I've got okay, there. So sure. yeah, uh, it's, yeah, it's oh
0: man, it's confusing. It's we we're not saturated in Jewish culture. No, totally.
1: These people were. Yeah. Totally. So they would have there would be depths of stuff yeah. they would understand that's going right ahead. Over, over our, our head. head. Yep. Totally, totally. Um, okay, so then going into I think we move into verse six that I've got here. Um, But Jesus has now obtained a superior ministry. And to that degree, he is the mediator of a better covenant, which has been legally enacted on promises. What do you think makes this covenant better?
0: Uh, I think if you're looking at all the things he's just said, it's the eternal covenant. Mm. It's the power that Christ has to truly not just, I think it says it somewhere in Hebrews here, not just cover over sin, Mm. but defeat sin. Mm. The old covenant never had the power to cut. It just basically sort of swept the carpet, Mm. swept it clean, put a new layer down, whereas Jesus defeats the power of sin. Okay, I think that's the main thing is that all the priestly duties had to keep happening. Mm. Sacrifices had to be offered all the time. They had the power to kind of make a person get some sense of awareness, like the word you used earlier, Mm. and some sense of atonement. Yeah, But it was never... Complete. Okay. They had to keep coming back because the value of the sacrifice wasn't sufficient to be atoning. What makes this better is Jesus himself, the sinless Son of God of infinite value, offered himself as a one time atonement. Okay. So we didn't have to keep going back to
1: the priests all the time. I'm now remembering why I asked that question because from memory in some of my Bible college stuff, when we're talking about Deuteronomy and the Deuteronomic principle. Yep. And this whole idea of if you obey, you stay. Mm -hmm. And if you obey my commands, you will stay in the land, you'll be blessed, all that kind of stuff. So I guess I was thinking, is that where, are we talking about a better covenant than that one? Uh, Well, that's definitely the covenants referring to. Yeah. Um, yeah, Yes. Because it sounds like just then you were talking more about the rituals and the practices of the Uh, covenant as opposed to the heart of the covenant. I'm with you. The land covenant. The well, the the actual, yeah, or well, not even the land covenant, but the spirit of the covenant to me is the way I get it. It's been explained at Bible College is having a triangle, and mm-hmm. you've got God, the people, and the land. Yep. And the triangle only works when all things are kind of in yep. place, I guess. Yes. Yep. Um, forgive me, Bible College lecturers, if I'm stuffing this up. Um, so the the idea is, um, the heart behind that covenant the Deuteronomy principle or however you say it is it, you obey you stay mm-hmm. um, i'm not saying that we therefore have to disobey and not stay yeah i think i know what you're saying it's talking about a better covenant i'm not talking about so much the rituals and the practices yep. and what came inside i'm talking about Sinai. what happens when we don't obey yeah yeah and also mm. um, yeah maybe maybe that's where i'm going with so it that where you are going with it like I think, yeah. as in um, i think i'm looking does at it the bigger. covenant
0: still last if we don't if you take the Deuteronomy 28, you know, mm. you'll be blessed if you do this and yeah. you'll be cursed if you do which yeah, is what yeah, you're referring yeah, yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, are we saying that the new covenant, uh, are you saying is the new covenant better in the sense that it's a one-sided covenant and, mm. you know, regardless of what we do, God is faithful and yeah. he will forgive us and
1: yeah. and fulfill that covenant? <coughs> I think there's a part of that. Yes. I mean, when, when God cuts the covenant with Abraham – that's a one-sided covenant. That's a too, one-sided actually. covenant. Yes, correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, I guess when we're talking about a better covenant, how is that better? And that's and that's sort of where I'm trying to trying to get my head around. Is it also in Hebrews where it says it speaks a better covenant than the blood of
0: Abel? Uh, I don't
1: remember that coming up in
0: what okay. I read. Might have been might have been yeah. Hebrews eleven, maybe the next
1: chapter. We might be getting in the weeds, but um,
0: it's, no, I, I think it's worth mining all of that. Mm. There's. What, what I'm, I guess what I'm nervous about is because I've seen Christians do this where mm. we go, well, we, you know, the covenant is not dependent on how we conduct ourselves mm. at all. It's all about God's grace. Mm. So therefore we can sin now, repent later, and everything will yeah, be okay. Totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. That's where I get nervous yeah. because I've seen Christians who think that, well, Jesus has died for my sins. I can live however yeah. I want. Whereas I would say if you read the test, overwhelming st- scripture of the New Testament mm. That's not what it is. It's no. like Jesus has died for your sins. Now you have the power not to sin. Yeah. Now you actually are obligated. Yeah. But not just obligated, empowered to live, to make the right choices, to not, to not disobey. Yeah. It's like in the Old Testament, the, the covenant was if you obey, you stay. But in reality, they couldn't obey. Exactly. But now through Christ and what mm. he's done, we can obey because mm. he has defeated the thing that prevents us from obedience, which is the sin yeah. nature uh, the power of sin in the world. He's defeated that. So now he's empowered us to be mm. able to obey. Because I just think Christians get a bit wishy-washy about this.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. And I'm not that. And in fact I would say I know, to you're those. Not yeah, I would say to those Christians, well I don't know if you actually have tasted God. Yes. And you if that is your mindset um oh well I'll just do it later. And that gets me off the hook then you haven't experienced God. I don't think No nah, that, Well that's that back to Isaiah six. Call, I mean it was
0: like you said, I mean, mm. if you truly grasp the greatness of God, how how else are you gonna be but aware of your own yeah, failings yeah. and yeah. shortcomings? Yeah. And desiring. So you're right, I think that this whole oh whatever goes mm. nature. Yeah. Well like Paul rebuked the Corinthians for it because he says, well, what basically you're
1: saying, well, if the sin of yeah, sin, sin of of bounce, of grace abounds, yeah, yeah. does that mean we can keep living however yeah, we want? Exactly. Paul says, no you can't, yeah, not yeah. at all. Yeah. So Yeah, so I hear where I, I hear we're on a So I delivery, reckon it's wanna...
0: a better covenant in the sense that we actually okay, let's take the ritual side of it. I said that mm. you, the one time sacrifice, that's aspect of it yeah. number one. Another way in which it's a better covenant is actually that it doesn't just cover sin. It actually defeats sin. Yes. I reckon that is probably the single most important mm. thing about it. Mm. Because of what Christ has done, mm. the new covenant has defeated the power of mm. sin and I'm no longer a slave mm. to my sinful nature. And yet we still are. And yet we are uh, working that
1: process yeah. out. We're but, still, yeah, uh, not that I'm yes, not pushing no, back, yeah, but like we are still. Yeah, We're still in this body. We're still in this body. Yep. We're still in this sin. Yeah, We still breathe the atmosphere of sin. Paul himself says, I do what I don't want to do, do and all Romans that 7, yeah, He yeah. will rescue me. So it's Jesus the old will. man versus the new yeah, man. that's right. right. So, the difference is that we have a
0: new man now. We have a new man. Because of what Christ has done, yeah. we actually have the power to mm. apply the new man. Yeah. There's always wanting to apply the new man, always mm. wanting to do the right thing, mm. but we, we lacked the power yeah. to do that. Yeah. I think that's why we have a new covenant. It yeah. doesn't mean that we will automatically do it. No. But we now have the power to, little by little, mm be conformed and transformed yeah. into the image of Christ yeah yeah yeah,
1: yeah. let's cool. go with that hey <laughs> yeah, <that'll do. laughs> yeah I like it I mean it's it's big right so yeah it's yeah, huge yeah we're not going to get it all here okay um, verse 8 I've got here let me remind myself look the days are coming says the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah yes this is a quote um, from Jeremiah yeah is this I've, I've written him my note I, again I can't remember why I wrote this do you want me to read it while you're following along? Well, I'll just read it. But finding sure. fault with his people, he says Look, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their ancestors on the day that I took them by their hands to lead them out of the land of Egypt. I disregarded them, says the Lord, because they did not continue in my covenant. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And each person will not teach his fellow citizen and each his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their wrongdoing and I will never again remember their sins. So I guess where, I'm, where I was going with that is, does this mean that this new covenant is because we just cannot keep it? Keep the old one. Keep the old one. Probably even keep the new one. Well, um, no, no, forget I said that. Yeah. God will be merciful. And he will reveal himself. Yep. So we don't have to keep telling everybody he's the one that's doing the revealing. He is the one that is merciful. Yes. I'm not saying that we don't share the gospel. I'm not saying that. No. Um, But it's God that's doing. God's doing doing the work. Doing the work. As always, God is the one doing the work. Ultimately, we sow, uh, Paul says,
0: one sows, one reaps, but God gives the increase. Yes. That's the point. Yeah. I mean.
1: He's the sustainer of everything. Right? Exactly. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. When we can, all we can do is plant a seed, but the farmer has no control over. Exactly. It. That's a divine. Yeah. When a seed germinates, that's yeah. beyond human. Yeah, so I
1: guess the point is sort of similar to what we were just talking about in this this idea that God's made a new covenant because we just could not keep the old one. Yeah, exactly. It was impossible for us to
0: keep the old one. Yeah. Hence why we had – and even the whole covenant and the process and the priestly duties were insufficient. Yeah. It pointed to an ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. Mm. Um, And he says he found fault with the people. Mm. He didn't find fault with the covenant. He found Mm. fault because the people were incapable. Yeah. Of living up to the covenant. So then this prophecy comes in Jeremiah that says mm. in those days I'm going to take the law off stone, mm. off those Ten Commandments, I'm mm-hmm. going to write it on their heart, yeah. and then it will look very different. Yeah. Instead of being rules and rituals, it'll be conscience and mm. morality written on the human heart. Yeah. And that comes because Jesus has defeated the power of sin and now he has empowered us. So we intuitively can now, uh, have, we have the power, mm. You know, so we're wrestling I with have it, we have, power. The, we have the power now to to keep the law, yeah. The mo- keep keep the true law,
1: yeah,
2: yeah, yeah,
0: which is love the Lord your God with all your mm. heart, all your mind, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Mm. Really, in an, in essence,
1: yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. There's more there, that I, but more, more. No, no, that's okay. Not for now, because I'll just bore everyone. <laughs> um, but I guess where I'm going, what it's saying to me personally, and whether this is right or not, I don't know. It's it's sort of saying we are just incapable. We are sinful human beings. We are incapable of keeping the old covenant. Yep. God has to create a new covenant. Yep. And even in that new covenant, God is doing all the work. Yes. In the same way he did it with Abraham, yep. it's, it's the same with us. Absolutely. That he He is the one doing all the work. Yep, I agree with that. The fruit of the Spirit are all those things. It's the fruit of a spirit. It's not the fruit of my spirit. No, that's right. It's the fruit of yeah. the Spirit. Yep. So that's kind of where I'm going.
0: Well, I think that's true. Yeah. I, I 100% agree. We would not be able to do any of it without God. No. No. Um, and that's the free gift of grace. Yeah. Where we now need to know is there, our, our, the way I wrestle with it is that that does not mean that it's not, I'm not obligated mm. to make choices mm. to live for God. Mm. Where pure, if you took, if I took what you were saying to, I know you're not saying this, but nah, yeah. to the nth degree, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would go, well, I'm just a porn. It's just going to happen anyway. I yeah. don't have to worry about it. I'm going to be able to yeah. live because it's all about God living in me anyway. Yeah whereas there are things that I have to choose to do in order yes. to partner with uh, God, partner with God mm. and the new covenant has given me the power over sin to enable me to make mm. those choices. Yeah, I still have to make them. Yes. It's just that I can make them now. Yes. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. No, yeah, I hear you. I hear yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, I like it. I think we're on the same page. I think so too. From different yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's go into Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9. Yeah. Nearly there. Okay, so Hebrews 9. Um, more temple talk. More temple talk. Yeah, so I think I kind of, because it's a bit of a a repeat of some of that stuff, it feels yeah, a bit. Um, it definitely is. I then moved into verse 7, if I've written this down right. So verse 7 says, But the high priest alone enters the second room, and he does, does that only once a year. So this is talking about obviously... The physical human priest. Yep. The um, day of atonement. Yep. And never without blood, uh, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. I thought this was interesting, this whole idea of committed in ignorance. Mm-hmm. Um, why did I think that was interesting, Simon? Um, does it tie in – well – you know there were different sacrifices, right? There was a peace sacrifice. There was a um, – was there a harvest sacrifice? Or, yeah, um, yeah. There were there five there different times offering of offerings, yes. Yeah, so – And some of them involve – I think three of them involve
0: blood. Was of them involve food. Was
1: one of them a, a sin sacrifice of, fear, of ignorance? Ignorance,
0: yes. Okay. So I don't remember which one it was, but it says something like, when when a person sins and they become
1: aware of it, they mm. should offer a sin of ignorance or right, whatever Right, okay. Called. Yes. I just found it interesting that that one was pulled out there. Mm, it is interesting. Um, because – there's obviously other ones that could have been pulled out. Mm. Um, but here he is these are presenting non, these his... These are non-willful sins. Non-willful sins. Do, done in ignorance sounds like ignoring, but I think ignorance probably more means um, without Naivity, knowing.
0: Without knowing. Mm. Yes, that's correct. That's what it means, without knowing.
1: Yeah. So have you got any thoughts on
0: that? Well, he's talking about the Day of Atonement here, the one day of the year, the day of Yom Kippur, mm. when they would actually, the priest would go behind the curtain... So, I'd have to go back and study the Day of Atonement, but I wonder if a big part of that day was actually for sins committed in ignorance. Mm. And I, I wonder, I, I may be wrong here, but I think sins that were committed knowingly demanded their own personal sacrifice. Mm. This day of Yom Kippur was designed to be like a ritualistic cleansing and a wiping of the slate clean for the whole nation. Mm. It's like a fresh start. Yeah. For the new year, yeah, it's the last. I think it's the first day of the new year in Jewish mm. New Year. It's like start all over again, sweep the place clean, and that would be very much including these sins committed in ignorance. That maybe people, if you look at it from one perspective, if they're in ignorance, you haven't you haven't actually done any ritualistic no. practice for
1: them because you don't know what they are. Well, so, if you're in ignorance, um, in some ways. You haven't sinned. like Yes. Like you have sinned. Yes, of course, but you're not aware of it. But you're not aware of it. It yes. hasn't been
0: a deliberate choice to yes, sin. Yes, that's right. And I think what this Day of Yom Kippur Atonement is all about is, is like, let's just get a catch-all. Mm. Okay, so yes, if you become aware of an individual sin, you should offer a sacrifice mm. and do something for that. But this is the catch-all for all yeah. those sins that we've committed that we don't know about. Yeah. We're trying to wipe the slate clean mm. because this was about God dwelling among his people on the earth. Mm. That's what the tabernacle was about. This was the heaven heaven on earth touchdown point. And so the the picture was, Tim Mackey talks about this, the picture was that over time mm. just the the land would become polluted mm. by the sins of the yeah. people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So once a year, this practice of removing all the sins of ignorance mm. would kind of unpollute the land, mm. give it a fresh start. Mm. So, I think that's why they're pulling it out. I suspect that that's actually the main act of uh, the main uh, particular offering that mm. this um, sprinkling on the Day of Atonement is all about. It's, yeah. it's just a, a catch all for any sins that ha- people had done that they weren't aware of.
1: Yeah. Because where my head then goes is this: um, this Jesus who is so gracious and so merciful that even those that don't know who he is, yep. don't know his love. That he's catching all those he's sins, he catches too. all. Yes, when he's hanging on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Yes, I don't think he's just talking to the Romans, Not the ones that are there, and, and no, the, the religious leaders. I think he's talking to humanity. Yes, I think you're right. Um, and so I just think it's a beautiful
0: picture. It's an interesting picture because it does then read the question of things like universalism and arguments yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Like, does Jesus' sin catch all sins, mm. um, beyond? Yeah,
1: uh, you know that uh, people are unaware of. Well, yeah, and I mean, for example, you know, there's the argument of, you know, what about the people in Timbuktu and the yes, deep exactly. Amazon Rain, don't know. rainforest, yeah. whatever. Yeah, there's, you know, those yeah. that are in ignorance. Yeah, I think that's um,
0: that's a really good yeah, philosophical, theological argument to wrestle with. Mm. I think if you took it in the Old Testament, certainly what I can say emphatically, 100, percent is that when we become aware of sin, there's an expectation that we yeah. acknowledge totally. that. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Totally. What God does with sins or people that don't know mm. is beyond, I think it's beyond the scope of scripture. To be honest, I, there'll be evangelicals who will argue that point and go, no, you know, 100% mm. it's, um, you know, repent now or turn or burn kind mm. of thing. Mm. I I think that that is potentially mm. um, taken to the extreme, could be quite a na- na- um, narrow perspective. I think mm. In the in the wisdom of God, it could be more than that. Yeah. Um, yeah. What that looks like, I'm not a universalist, but what that looks like, I think there's more scope for God to, in His infinite wisdom, mm. to know how we would repent if we had a choice yeah, or yeah. whatever the case might be. Mm. And I think that has to be brought into the occasion, into mm. the equation, mm. probably more than a lot of evangelicals do.
1: Yeah. 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 Okay. Cool. Thank you. Um, where am I up to? So. Verse 13 leading in, for if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow, sprinkling those who are defiled, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of the Messiah, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So I think what I pulled out here was the word dead works. Do we see dead works as an intention? Like, what have I written here? The NLT has translated
0: it yeah, as my, my, sinful deeds, Okay, but then it's got Greek actually reads dead works. Dead works. So that your translation is more accurate, but they've obviously made an assumption to say our dead works are any actions that we do that are sinful. Yeah. Whereas I would think when I first read dead works, I would think that meant even our best efforts yeah. were, were
1: falling short. Yeah. That's how, it kind is that how of, you read it. That's how it kind of feels, but yeah. I've written intention here. I'm not sure why I've written intention. Sorry. Is that linked thinking. to that whole thing of ignorance again? Like Maybe. It might be still on that same train of thought. That whole thing of, um, you know, yeah.
0: the, um, the sins that we're unaware of.
1: Cleanse our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. I'm not sure. I might have just, don't know. Let's forget that one Okay, for now. We'll carry on. <laughs> um, and then going on to verse 15. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called might receive the promise of the eternal inheritance because a death has taken place for redemption from the transgression committed under the first covenant. So verse 15, uh, it's much more straightforward. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called might receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Okay, so this idea of those who are called, Mm -hmm. um, I looked up that word. Mm -hmm. It also says invited, And this whole idea of being called is an ongoing result. So it's like a past action that is still effective in the present. Call and still calling. Yeah, or it's like a past action that that, um, still has, can still be felt in the present. Okay, yep. Um, So I just thought, did you have any thoughts about who are those that are called? Who are the people that are
0: called? Uh, I think, first reference there, I think that's referring to we're getting into predestination versus mm. Calvinism versus Arminianism here. Calvinists will say only those who are going to be saved are called. A pure Arminians will say everyone's called, mm. but few are chosen sort of thing mm. or whatever the scripture might be. I still think that my reference to this is that all people are called, mm-hmm. but not all people respond. Okay. That's yep. how I view it.
1: Yeah, that's good. But I yeah. don't. Necess-
0: I know that there'll be others who disagree with that.
1: No, well, I think that's why I looked up that word because the the called, the other, um, can also mean invited. Yes. Yeah. I get my reference from even the Pharisees were had a calling on
0: their life. It says in John's Gospel, even the Pharisees rejected God's purpose for themselves mm. because they would not believe. Yeah. So it seems to me like God was calling them too. Yeah. But they wouldn't believe. Yeah. Whereas a pure Calvinist will say, no, no, God only calls some people. Mm. and he doesn't call others. Mm. And I, I can build that argument. I just yeah. think it's, I think all people are called. I think yep. God wants all people. Yeah. And if you were to use the other word invited. Invited. It makes sense. Invited. Everyone's invited. Yeah. yeah. And I heard, I heard it many years ago. I don't know why I heard this at Oxford Falls. I was there and someone was giving a really simple example, which probably is insufficient, but it <clears throat> made sense to me. Like, Hey, I'm moving house this weekend. Um, Who can help me? Mm. Puts out an open call to everybody who can help you. Mm. And then six people put their hand up. Say, I'm going to have free pizza afterwards. Six people put their hand up and he says, okay, I choose you. I only need three of you. I'll choose you. I'll choose you. I'll choose you. you. Thanks. Mm. I've got three of you coming to help me, not six of you. Yeah. The call went out to everyone. Mm. Few put their hand up and God chose the ones who put their hands Mm. up. Mm. I think that kind of fits with the mentality of how this works. Mm -hmm. The call is open to all of us, but not everyone responds. Right. Okay. Uh, but, you know, it's philosophers and people like yeah, yeah, the on this stuff. So yeah, yeah, 100%. I'm, I'm not presuming to be an expert. It's just what I've re- what I come to understand in yeah. my mind.
1: No, that's good. Well, I was the one that asked the question and, yeah. you, and you've given me your answer. So thank you. Um, so then moving ahead to verse 22. Uh, According to the law, almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. Almost everything? According to the law,
0: nearly everything was purified with blood. What wasn't purified with blood? I don't know. i say maybe some of the priestly garments, but no, they were all sprinkled with blood.
1: What wasn't purified with blood? Chat GPT. Shall we ask? <laughs> What's the verse? Uh, verse 22. So Hebrews 9, oh. verse 22.
0: There must have been something that wasn't purified with blood. <coughs> purified with blood.
1: Is it just purif- things purified with water and not blood? Yeah,
0: well, water and blood, often Mosaic law... As per Hebrews 9.22, was it? Yes. 9.22. Let's see what wasn't purified with blood. In the Mosaic law, blood played a central role, including atonement for sin, temple, tabernacle, priests, cleansing from uncleanliness, covenant, ratification, altars. The point in Hebrews 9.22 is to emphasize the necessity of blood purification for forgiveness under the Mosaic law as a backdrop. Um, Sorry, ChatGPT, but we probably didn't ask the question well enough. <laughs> uh, it says almost everything was purified with blood. So what wasn't? Several other means that didn't involve shedding of blood. Uh, no, nah, it's now listing the things that were purified, such as the other things that were used to purify, mm. like the ritual water, mm-hmm. oil, incense, grain offerings, heifer, fire, so, yeah, I'm probably not prompting it properly, but mm. it's not giving me the answer we're looking no. for. okay. I'm assuming that the Hebrews, writer the Hebrews is saying there is something mm. that was purified um, without something other than blood. This is yeah. giving some of the other things that we use, but I imagine a lot of these things would have been simultaneously used. Mm. Uh, you wouldn't have purified a grain offering with blood, I don't think. Um, maybe that's, you know, but the, the idea is the offering is pure and when it's presented, it doesn't mm. get purified. I don't yeah. know. Okay. Yeah. It's well, just
1: interesting because um, it's saying, according to the law, almost everything is purified with blood. But then it goes on, and without the blood, without yes. the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Yes. So it's kind of a little bit of a,
0: a grey one. I, um, it's almost like the writer is going – the writer is trying to make the point that blood's, blood is what's necessary mm. to purify – I can't say 100% categorically that everything right. in the Old Testament is because maybe there's a few things in the Old Testament that mm. blood wasn't used. Right. But the point is I think the the author is trying to focus on the fact that blood was used for most things. Yeah, okay. Almost everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can't think of anything that it wasn't used for. Yeah. I
1: think that's the point yeah. they're making. Yeah, okay. Yep. Yeah, so turn it good. on its head. Yeah. Take a more human reading. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, and then verse 26 um, just read, starting at verse twenty-five. He did not do this to offer himself many times, as the high priest enters mm, the sanctuary yearly with the blood of one of another. Otherwise, he would have had to suffer many times since the foundation of the world. But now he has appeared one time at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. Um, appeared one time and at the end of the ages. It's interesting there for me the, the word ages there. Mm-hmm. So, what is the word age? Probably eon. Yeah. Ionius or whatever it is. Ionius, yeah, the word we get eons from, yep. Yep. So, um, I mean, I don't have a particular thing I want to say there. It's more just like I just sort of drew it out because um, the end of the ages is – ages is plural, not the end of the age. Yes, yeah. We tend to think of one age. Yes. They didn't think of one age. No. Uh, They thought of multiple ages.
2: Yep.
0: Yeah, so you had the age of – the age of uh, the early stages of Genesis, the, pre, mm. the Noah age, yep. the pre-Noah age. They had the Abrahamic age. Mm. They had the Davidic age, mm. had the exilic age. Yep. And then they have the Christ. The, and, and they would have seen, that oh, that's right at the end of history. They would have mm. thought, you know, that it's just like most of the apostles. They thought that the second coming was coming in their lifetime. Mm. You know, mm. it was coming soon. So they, yeah. would, they would have seen it. So they saw the age as different chapters mm. in the story. Mm. Of yep. life, of yep. human life. Okay. Yeah, we don't think of it that way, do we? No. 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 I think it's probably most – I mean, we do it at a grand level now. We have the prehistoric age. Yeah. We have the – you know, we, we look at the the different um, long-term mm. – you know, those that hold to a long-term – long earth would yeah. hold to those different ages. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. we think of the human age, the Homo sapiens age as yeah. one age, whereas yeah. historically these guys didn't. They saw it broken yeah. up more than that.
1: Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. Anything else you want to pull out of uh,
0: chapter nine?
2: Nope.
1: Okay. All right. We'll go to chapter 10. Chapter 10. All right. That last one.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. So in chapter 10, again, there's so much, but I only pulled two points out Um and probably those two points will either be really quick or they'll be really <laughs> long. I
0: was just thinking about our ages. We have the Iron Age, the Bronze Age, yeah. the Stone Age. Yeah. There are probably our three most recent, we think, we yes. think in that yeah, context. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 But they they were thinking ages slightly differently to that.
1: Yeah, because I, I sense that um, he's, yeah, it's sort of like, when we think of an end of an age, we almost think of the destruction of the world. Yes. Or maybe that's where my head goes. Yes. But yeah. Whereas they're
0: thinking of a turning point
1: yeah. into something else. I mean, yeah. when we say Iron
0: Age, that you know that's from 1000 BC forward, We before that it was the Bronze Age mm. from 3000 BC. But there was a specific time at which they started to move from having bronze mm. to iron. And that was a, such a significant shift in mm. history, the mm. event of that technological advancement, yep. that it, it's changed all things. We can yep. say we're in the technological age yep. or the industrial age. So yeah. I'm thinking about it more yeah. when, when there's a significant technological advancement which mm. shifts things, mm. that's what we would call an age, yeah. whereas they would have been thinking more ritualistically, yes. certain yep.
1: certain key characters yep. instituted a new religious age. Yeah, if yeah. You like. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah that makes sense. Um, okay, so the first one that I pulled out is um, of the two <laughs> – is verse 13. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'll just go start from 11. Every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away the sins. But this man, uh, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. This idea of his enemies being a footstool was interesting to me because often when we think of... God's enemies, we think of them being obliterated. Mm-hmm. But here they're not obliterated, they're a footstool, mm-hmm. um, which I... Speaks of subservience. Subservience, and when I looked into that word, um, it's this idea of dominion. Yes. So when yes. when you have a footstool and you're putting your feet on a footstool, you have dominion over that. Mm. Um, so this idea of... Um, complete annihilation obliteration I knew I was going doesn't there. seem to be saying that does yeah, it yeah doesn't seem to be saying the, that about his good, enemies good and this is like Do we're talking thought. we're talking about a i guess a heavenly perspective yes. a eternal perspective perhaps yes. i don't know yep. but yeah this idea that um, there is no they're not sort of they're not maybe, obliterated they're not obliterated nor are they being eternally yep. tormented yes, maybe yep. it is tormenting to have the feet of god resting yep. on you yep. i don't know there is a part of me that goes, okay, not obliterated, um, total dominion. Yeah, they're humbled. They're humbled. And made a footstool.
2: There, yeah. There could yeah.
1: be a point there where um, there is this uh, sense of his enemies will get to a point of being totally dominated by God. Yes. How does God dominate us? By his love. Yes. Yeah. So almost like that willingness to come underneath. Yeah, uh, you know,
0: there's a, there's I mean, always, a footstool
1: is probably not that willing. I don't know where, whether or not there is the willingness yeah, for a footstool, yeah. but
0: but I certainly want to do some interesting research into that context, yeah. into that scripture. Mm. Look at what it's trying to say because that 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 fits what you're saying. It mm. Does it? If you want to think outside the box here, um, it's a good example of how you can read scripture and just gloss over it and not think mm. about it. Because mm. at first glance, I, to be honest, I would have just thought, oh, yeah, it's just a poetic way of yeah. saying, uh, you know that. His enemies under his feet. Yes, yeah. as com- as complete sense of defeat. You yes, know? Yeah. Um, A king wouldn't. They conquered another king would place their feet yeah. on their neck as a yeah, sign yeah. of subservience. Right. But yeah, they yeah, often yeah. wouldn't obliterate. Not no. always would they obliterate that king. Sometimes mm. they would imprison that king, or they might send them back, but mm. they became a vassal king. Yeah. So
2: yeah,
1: all, all of those all of the above mm. would fit that context. Yeah, um, yeah. I'd, and I'd, I, I'm assuming here too, when we're talking about enemies, we aren't necessarily talking about, well, I, yeah, I don't know, enemies. To me, when I think of God's enemy, I think more of a spiritual principality enemy as yes. opposed to a human enemy.
0: Yes. I would say, I don't know if it's exclusively that in this context. No, it may not be. Um, I don't think it's exclusively talking about the principalities and powers. I think no. there is a human element to this as well. Okay. What makes you say that? Um... I think you just have to read it in its, in its context. Is mm-hmm. that throughout? You know, the, these people are facing persecution mm-hmm. from foreign human powers. Yep. Now, yes, there is a spiritual force animating them mm. behind the scenes—the spirit of this world, the power of the prince of the power of the air—but mm. nonetheless, there are still the Roman authorities which are persecuting them. Mm. And they would be seen as the enemies of mm. truth. Yeah. So I think to ignore that wouldn't fit with the whole scope of the New Testament. Mm. To completely ignore that. Although Jesus does say, you know, you're not, you're not really, what well, Paul says, you're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but mm. against spiritual power. So yeah, it's yeah. Defi- that's definitely there. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jesus seemed to have enemies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Human enemies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um Paul had human enemies mm. that he spoke out against. Yeah. Um, even ones that had turned their back on him and mm. and um, you know, left him for left him for dead. Yeah. So I don't think you can separate out and say it's all exclusively spiritual. No, no, no. Or, totally or natural. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think yeah. originally your question was, Well, what if these are natural human enemies? What you know, what does it mean? It are could be
1: that, yeah, that you're right. It could be actually um yeah, that was my initial mm. thought. So then you're going, maybe it's the spiritual Maybe it's thing. not, yeah, yeah. I don't know.
0: Yeah, well, there's this interesting scripture at the right at the end of the book of Revelation, where it talks about the new heavens coming down and the new earth, and it says outside the city mm. are the liars and all mm. da, 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 and all those people who enjoy yep. falsehood. Yeah, and they are outside the city. Mm. There's no picture there of even though we've just seen pictures earlier chapters of them being thrown into the lake of fire mm. and all that. Mm. Now there's people there who yeah are outside the city. So yeah, I don't think I think the problem is we try to form up too much of a a rigid one one size fits all doctrine of the afterlife, mm. and when we do that, we miss the nuance of it. And this is a good example of that. Mm. Once again, this is an example of could this be talking about people who maybe had been his enemy once, mm. but now have either forcefully or mm. chosen to humble themselves under his foot? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that's there. I think there's the scope to explore that. Mm. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't build a doctrine on that one no, first, no, but no, there's that's scope right. there to explore. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah.
1: Okay. Cool. Like that. Thank you. Uh, and then last one, um, it's verses 30 and 31. Unless you want to pull out anything before no. we get to that. No, I'll go, yeah, go ahead. You're right. Okay. So 30 says for, maybe I should just lead into it, starting at verse 28. If anyone, I'm oh, sorry, I've got my glasses. Pop your glasses off. No, nah, it's all right. If anyone disregards Moses' law, he dies without mercy, based on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think one will deserve who has trampled on the Son of God, regarded as profane, the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know the one who said, Vengeance belongs to me, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God." This seems to be the contrast to what we just said in the previous verses yeah, to some degree, doesn't it? Yeah, it? it does. Um, so it's very sobering. Mm. Um, but then I, I did dig into that because I, as you know, I'm wrestling with all of this stuff. Yeah. So this idea, um, vengeance, What the first thing that came to me is when Jesus, again, back in Isaiah, when Jesus quotes Isaiah, he stands up in the synagogue, whatever, and says, what's is it Isaiah? Isaiah um,
0: 50, 51? 51. 50 I was and like he sixty-one. the spirit
1: of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news to the brokenhearted, yep. to bind up the thing. Yep. He pro- stops before the day of vengeance. To proclaim the dear of the Lord and doesn't, and then sits down. Yes, he does. Yep, um, he, mis- he leaves at, out, middle out the vengeance. Middle of the sentence, he leaves out vengeance. Leaves out vengeance. Yeah. Um, and yet here we have this writer of the Hebrews saying, vengeance belongs to me. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of vengeance. Um, I'll tell you why most
0: scholars think Jesus stopped there. Yeah. Because they don't st- they don't think that that doesn't apply to Jesus, mm. they just think that that vengeance bit be- applies to the second coming, not the first. Okay. So when Jesus stood up, he was here not to bring vengeance against the- his enemies, but to pro- proclaim freedom from the captives. Right. But in order to fulfil that messianic prophecy, mm. that at his second coming mm. is when he will right every wrong, okay, and bring vengeance against those who have. Treated people unfairly and yep. unjustly, and so yeah, on. okay. That's the view that most, which makes sense would with have.
1: the thing that I just um, looked into a little bit. I, it wasn't necessarily a scholarly thing, but it was this idea of vengeance, um, not being revenge mm-hmm. or vindictiveness. Yes, correct, absolutely. But more awarding justice to all parties. Yes, it's uh, that's exactly what vengeance is. Yes, it's, it's
0: equitable. Yeah, it's righting every wrong. Yes.
1: Yeah. So I um. I I mean, I take comfort in that, I think, as a lot of people do because there obviously is so much injustice Mm. and there is all that kind of stuff. As long as we're aware that we have been the perpetuators of that
0: injustice as well. Totally. Yes, that's right. And
1: that's where I think, um, again, I want to be careful that I don't see this as God smiting his enemies. Yeah. But But putting me right. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. That's where it's unhealthy. But more um, executing judgment and justice and punishment where it is required. Yep. Um, and that he will do that as only a good judge can. That's correct. Um, That's so. the important key there, mate. And then This is not God being vindictive. No. At all. And then the other thing that um, in verse 31 where it's like it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Um, sounds very hellfire and brimstoneish, doesn't it? It, it does. Yeah. And so I looked into that a little bit again, yeah. this whole idea of terrifying and fearful, um, and it it's sort of – what I took away from what I read, but feel free to push back, it was like this whole idea of, um, again, um, fear of the Lord. Not fear as in trembling out of like this God's going to kill me kind of fear, but more respect yeah. and a fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom type thing. That, that whole idea. I think that fits with the context of Hebrews. Yeah, and the word really, it seems, is talking about a withdrawal in fear, or separating yourself. Yep. So when we withdraw and we separate ourselves from God, sorry, I'm pulling away from the microphone, um, that is, uh, what does it say? A terrible thing. A terrible thing. A terrifying thing. Yes, absolutely. To separate yourself from God. That works for me. And
0: to... um, Let's put it back. So let's God. put that back in its context. He's writing the, the writer is writing to a people mm. who are chew, who are contemplating mm. turning back on Jesus, yep. going back to the old way because of the fear of persecution. Right. So if we put it back in its context, yep. he's going. That's a terrible thing to do. Mm. Why would you want to yeah, do that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Why would you want to turn your back on the goodness and yeah. the grace of God that has the power to set you free and all this stuff that we've just mm. done. Mm. Why would you turn your back on that? That would be a dumb thing to do. Yeah, yeah, you would yeah. be throwing yourself. You would be. You would be. Tra- well, it says trampling Jesus under his mm. under your feet. Mm. You're basically making a mockery of what Jesus has done. So it is. A, it isn't urgent. Mm. You get a passion here of saying that's a stupid thing to do. Yeah, Don't yep. do it. Stay yep. the course. Yeah. Jesus has set you free. Stick at it. Yeah. So I think that fits with what you're saying. Mm. It's. It's. It's not some kind of vindictive injustice against everybody. No. Justice of God against others that have hurt mm, us. It's mm. don't you be the one yeah. to to disrespect what Jesus has done for yeah. you. Yeah, and withdraw yourself and withdraw from yourself him. from that. Yeah, and if yeah. you do. All that's left is going to be judgment. Yeah. Because what he's saying is, if Jesus is your offer of grace, mm. and if you withdraw yourself from mm. your offer of grace, what? There's nothing left for you except judgment. Mm. Because because God is a just judge and He will right every wrong. Mm. I think that this is where the mercy of God the compassion and the grace of God comes in. Is when we throw ourselves at Jesus' feet, mm. He offers us compassion yeah. and grace. Yeah. Why would you? He would say, Why would you miss pass up the option for grace? Mm. Without grace, there's nothing left but judgment. Yeah. 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 I think that's what he's saying. Love it. Yeah. That's all I had. Mate, that's awesome. That's enough. Love the way you think. That's enough, you reckon? Well, let's do that. What are we doing? We're doing probably about, I don't know, probably... Two and a half hours or something like that. Short, short and sweet. No, it's about the normal length of most of them these days. But
1: yeah, I mean, have you got anything you want to kind of? Nah, mate,
0: that's fine. I've had a lot of fun. (laughs) I have always have a lot of fun having Uh, these conversations with you.
1: It is good fun. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, thanks for being with us. And um,
0: I thought you were the last one for the year, but I think we've got one more after you with Genie. Oh, very nice. Yeah, the Boxing Day release, I think, with Genie. We haven't recorded it yet, but that's coming up soon.
1: Merry Christmas, everyone.
0: Merry Christmas, everybody. Have an amazing Christmas week if you're listening to this in real time which a few of you are.
1: (laughs) God bless you. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. Thanks a lot. See ya.